Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kulsic, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? Kate, I've graded my cable package this week. Oh, um, well, because my first cable package from when I moved up here was about to expire, mm-hmm. and what I was going to end up paying was the amount that I could have locked in for two years with a different cable package. So uh-huh. now I have all the premium cables I'm never going to watch. Um, so what extent is, of premium cables is this? I've got Stars, HBO, and Showtime. <gasps> you can start. Oh, okay. You could start watching The Leftovers. You could start. You could like watch Looking. You could. Mm-hmm. Oh, you could watch so many things. I and just think about all the things that this opens up for the Make You Watchathon in August. Now it does open many things. Don't think yeah. I'm not thinking about that because <laughs> I already am. That's very <laughs> exciting. You've listeners are very excited right now. I like do uh, a little bit of an HBO <laughs> happy dance. <laughs> Whereas what I'm excited about is that I finally have Turner Classic Movies again because for whatever reason it wasn't in my original package. That's just and wrong. DCM's amazing. It's, it's super wrong, but I, I got it back yesterday and I basically got done with work and sat down and for whatever reason Turner Classics runs um, Eastern Time only. Mm-hmm. So I was watching their primetime um, sl- primetime programming first thing and it was... Th- Thursdays in May or um, Thursday May or Creature Features. So I just sat down and watched them and then the American Godzilla movie, which is the recut one with Raymond Burr, which is super boring. I forgot how boring that movie is. And then just a bunch of other things. And I, I fell asleep watching Turner Classic Movies and it was so amazing. That's awesome. Oh, I missed it. <laughs> I missed it. Uh, how are you doing? I'm still sick, but <laughs> but I'm but I'm doing better. It's like it's better when I don't breathe deep, which probably is not a good sign. But I do feel better. Yeah, that's that, that's a sign that maybe you need respiratory stuff. Yeah, or yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna go to the gym later because that's that's what you should do, right? When you're, uh, but I feel like maybe I need to like get some deep breathing going to like open up my lungs a bit. So I'm gonna try that. We'll see how it goes. I'll make sure there aren't too many other people there, so I'm not grossing I think you them ju- out. I think you just need a good steam. Yeah, there's that. I guess that is an option. We'll yeah. we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe I can okay. like get like the steam going in my in my bathroom at home and and watch uh, RuPaul like while I'm doing that and just have a sort of an in. Well, but first, I'm going to try the treadmill. We'll see how it goes. Please don't die on the treadmill. <laughs> I promise not to die on the treadmill. No, okay, never you good. fear. Never <laughs> you fear. Um, so this, of course, last week we talked about all the, the shows that were getting canceled and renewed. And then like immediately after we finished recording, NBC changed their minds and uh, the Timeless team traveled back in time and, and saved their show. So most of everything we said last week still holds, but Timeless got renewed. And I saw much rejoicing on, on yeah. TV Twitter. Yeah, I've, a lot of people were happy about that. Um, so they got picked up probably because Sony was just like, please take this show for free, NBC, because <laughs> um, that's what Sony does. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it'll be like a 10, 13 episode uh, summer season um, for NBC, which is great for folks who were really who really enjoy Timeless. I think I only did like I want to say I stopped after the Lincoln episode. Mm-hmm. I want to say I stopped after the Lincoln episode. Or the James Bond episode. 
I don't remember. Somewhere in there. It was, it was kind it was still early in the run. It was like before the, um, the winter break, but yeah, but it was fun. Well, and it does feel like a very summer show. I I feel like it It should do well in the summer. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah. 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 We also wanted to mention up here at the top, we got an email from Carl that we should have read off last week, but we didn't. Uh, Noel, take it away. Right. So Carl uh, finished watching season one of The Magicians and the second season of The Expanse. And he said that he felt like sci-fi had really turned the spaceship around. Very nice. Um, (laughs) And what he wanted to know was he had a two-part question. First part was, uh, what nom- network would we nominate for having the biggest turnaround? And then his second question was, do you think it's important for television to have a brand to break through the TV clutter? Or does streaming make it seem like TV is just one big network? Uh, so, Kate, I'll, I'll let you answer these two questions first. Well, for I'm assuming he means a positive turnaround. Right, um, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm assuming he does as well. Yeah. Um, of the... Uh, like thinking about the the networks right now and the shows that they have right now, the one that feels like the biggest around for me is actually the CW. Um, Cause it was struggling for its identity for a while there. It tried to be like the rich teens network for a while um, with, with some of its holdovers, um, but also the 90210 and like the end of gossip girl. It was trying that for a while. That didn't really work. Um, and then when, when Grant Gustin showed up and was adorable on Arrow and they decided to spin off Flash and then that took off that really cemented their superhero thing. So I, and mm-hmm. while the Flash, which we'll talk about later, and Arrow are not having the greatest seasons ever right now. Arrow's having a bad season. Don't say it's not so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but while the... While these are not the shows at their peak, I do think the network as a whole is doing really well. It's very solid, and it certainly found its niche and its identity, I think, very well. And and to not feel limited, like, they're, they're the genre show. They're the genre network, so they have the superhero stuff, but they also have Jane, which is a very specifically a genre, like, a very tonally specific show. And then you have, of course, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, again, very tonally specific. So uh, iZombie, you know, these different shows that are are more fun um, while also going for earnest emotion at the same time. So I would say of like NBC, ABC, CBS, um, Fox, CW, CW is the one that comes to mind for me. I mean, FX and Comedy Central, some of these other networks that you know, HBO that I watch rather frequently, they've felt pretty consistent in, in what they've been doing. And um, so that, that's, I don't know, that's what comes to mind for me. What do you think? Yeah, when Carl sent this email and I was sort of, I couldn't really think of one that had, like, in my brain it had a turnaround recently. Like, I feel like the CW's turnaround happened... A couple years ago. A couple years ago. Um, And uh, now, like, I kind of worry that they're overextending themselves on the superheroes in part because of, like, corporate co-ownership issues. Mm -hmm. Um, But that aside, it happened a couple years ago, so I couldn't think of anything off the top of my head that was a good turnaround. I kept thinking, like, bad turnarounds, like USA just kind of cratering. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's TBS. Right, there's TBS, and I think that's probably the one that comes to mind. And I think I even mentioned TBS uh, for us last, and the Smorgasborgie last Mm -hmm. year. Um, just from an original programming standpoint, they just like 
Kevin Riley just came in and just went, yeah, we, I got this. And uh, so they produced four really solid like comedies, um, even if they weren't always for me, um, Search Party. Uh, <laughs> but it was still really well made and really well thought out. And so, yeah, I guess TBS would probably be the most drastic turnaround I can think of. And that's that's a good point. I like that idea. Um, but how do you feel about the clutter? And I think like the USA thing I mentioned is a really good example of this. <laughs> Since they couldn't, like, get anything off the ground except for Mr. Robot, and that's been it recently. And they used to have such a really strong brand. And I think branding is still pretty important to break through stuff um, when you're our age. I think anyone younger than us just assumes everything is like what Carl says. It's just one big network. And if it's not Netflix, I'm not watching. Or the YouTubes. <laughs> the YouTubes, indeed. Um, yeah, I think it does help a lot. Um it, the thing that I when, I when I think of these different networks, especially the the niche cable networks yeah. or, 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 you know, other do I have that on my like the audience network is still doing kingdom, um, but nobody gets the audience network. So, right. you know, um, what a lot of times these smaller networks have one or two shows and and so it's they don't they just have that show. It's like we talked about last last week where. You know, people you know are getting stars to watch American Gods, and they're going to cancel their subscription. And the same thing is true with All Access. People getting CBS All Access until The Good Wife ends, and they don't really care about the network at all. If you want to create network loyalty, where people keep coming back to your network, um, just as a default setting, or to see what you have on that's new, then I think having that brand is actually very, very helpful. Especially when you're looking at the the regular network season where there's a lot of repeats and reruns where you can't necessarily you, you're not just going to have 10 weeks of solid content and then then take a break where you're trying to get people to just keep tuning in even if it's not a new episode um i do think it's very very helpful but i also think that when i talk about something like the cw's turnaround a couple of years ago part of the strength of that was because they didn't feel so constricted to it has to be superheroes that they didn't pick up you know jane they didn't pick up crazy ex-girlfriend they didn't pick up right. some of the other shows so having some flexibility to that and recognizing good shows i think is that is more important um but yeah i do think it certainly helps like people who are going to watch cbs are going to be very happy watching most of the shows on the cbs lineup so um you know and that's a, clearly a network that's done a really really good job with maintaining that tone and really teaching their viewers to come back yeah, and also just being incredibly consistent, like uh, upfronts were this week, and um, I saw it getting passed around that um, CBS was boasting about how um, reliable its scheduling has been. And one of the things that came out of that was the fact that they've only had two shows in that Tuesday 8 p.m. slot for the past 20 years, and that's been Jagged and CIS. That's yeah. been the only two shows that they've had in that slot, which is insane when you think about the fact that every other network has at least had had at least like between 25 to 50, 60 shows mm -hmm. come and go in a 20 year period. And they yeah. had two. And I mean, to be fair, like a lot of those are like ABC experimenting with like comedy blocks in that time. So it's like two shows in one block. So it's a little it's a little misleading. But at the same time, it just speaks to how really sustainable CBS's model has generally been. Yeah. What do you think about the brand? Do they, do they need a brand or do they just need good shows? 
Um, well, I think for broadcast networks, it's a little different than it is with cable networks. I think cable networks need a brand and they need, because they only program for like what they only program for like days. They don't do blocks of programming typically. So you come here for 10 o'clock, you watch the strain that is preceded by like for the dark world. <laughs> uh, but like the networks have to build like, I think brand nights basically in a lot of ways. So like you, the must see TV comedy blocks or we're going TGIT. to give you TGIT is a really good, really successful example of branding on a night right now, or, you know, just pick your Dick Wolf Chicago hour <laughs> and you're set on NBC for a Wednesday basically. And so I think it's really important that they build brands for days more so than they necessarily build a brand as a company or sorry as a network because that's that becomes really difficult to sustain right now i think mm -hmm. and it's easier to build it around a day and but to to that end like you can point to certain trends within each program each network that says what they're kind of putting an emphasis on who they're trying to attract like Fox trying to reach, um, again, going back to, in a lot of ways, where it started from, like, trying to reach an African-American audience with uh, Empire, but then also trying to do something similar with, like, Sleepy Hollow, Pitch, and that kind of a thing, but also trying to widen out of that a little bit. But then, like, with um, NBC, or it's kind of hard to pick what NBC does is, like, NBC. But ABC it puts a heavy emphasis on diversity now, and they've been doing that really successfully for a little while. And CW, as we've discussed, is a genre of network, and that's what we know it as. So it's been when you, but CW has the benefit of only programming for ten hours a week. Yeah, not, well, not ten, yeah, ten hours a week. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, that helps them a lot. Whereas everyone else programs for way more than that. Oh, except uh, Fox, I guess they, they only do two hours a night, but they have Sunday as well. So Right, and Sunday's like a long stretch for them, too. Sunday's mm -hmm. from like 7 to 10 for them when, you know, there's not football. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's, that's an interesting question, Carl. And of course, we would love to know your thoughts, and we'd love to know the rest of the listeners' thoughts as well. So please uh, leave us a comment on the post for this episode or, or reach out on Twitter or, you know, email, any of that good stuff. But thanks for writing in, Carl. We always love hearing from you. And it was an interesting conversation. Are you expecting much of a shakeup this fall based on what we've been hearing about uh, upfronts? Or do you think pretty much the networks are going to be holding steady with their ident brand identities and such for the next year? Yeah, I think they're probably going to be pretty steady for the next year or so. Um, in part, I think ABC's like development cycle um, is one of those things where I imagine like a lot of these shows were in development before Paulie uh, was left. I think I'm scrambling when he left exactly. But mm -hmm. um, I also feel like ABC's uh, new programming chair, whose name I cannot remember. Um, yeah, I can't remember her name, um, is also just kind of like, I'm done with Marvel. <laughs> um, we are done with this, um, given the fact that there's sh shifting shield and um, inhumans, which nobody wants except Ike Perlmutter mm -hmm. um, over to Fridays. And it's just like, oh, that's that's just going to die over there because yep. um, it's just going to get crushed by Blue Bloods and uh, Hawaii Five-0 and MacGyver still. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think they're probably going to be really consistent, um, though, like. CW is like trying to rejigger itself a little bit with Valor and um, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, the Dynasty reboot, which is a terrible idea. 
Um, but uh, yeah, so but they also have the um, that Lucy Hale show waiting in the wings for the midseason, which I'm actually kind of excited about. Um, Life Sentence, um, mm-hmm. which I think should be interesting. But um, they've also shifting Jane and Crazy X both to Fridays. I'm just like, oh, no, those not 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 my Jane. <laughs> um, so do you think everyone's going to remain pretty consistent? Yeah, I mean, I'm not expecting any huge shakeups, certainly. Yeah. And I mean, it's too expensive, I think to experiment like that in a big way right now um, because the viewership is just continuing to dwindle away. So I don't expect any bold moves, shall we say at at the, the the major networks. So we'll we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, this week we are doing our deep dive on Sense 8 season two because I caught up to Noel, so I finished the season that's coming at the end of the episode. So much awesomeness to talk about, so much beauty. Um, <laughs> um but first up, we're gonna talk comedy and reality. So, Noel, let's take a break, listen to some music, and come back with our week in comedy reality. comedy and reality noel's gonna tell us a little about the pilot for downward dog and also the first chunk of unbreakable commission season three then we'll both talk the speechless finale ca camp and fresh off the boats finale this is us before we round out the week in comedy reality with a little drag race talk rupaul roast so first up um i've heard very mixed things about downward dog and when i say very mixed noel i mean some people like I liked it and a lot of people like I love dogs and this made me like dogs less uh that's how much (laughs) I didn't care for downward dog so like I'm very curious about this one because you'd think adorable dogs uh Allison Tolman shoe in but right what what did you think what it seems like there's been a lot of reaction I, I I think it's okay um it's I, I think this that downward dog would have been a small disaster if not for Allison Tolman, who like even I'm willing to say as someone who does not like Fargo is like she was the best thing in Fargo and she's incredible. She's just really, really good actor and she's really good in this like the. It's a it's a much stronger performance than I think the show and the material deserves in a lot of ways, and that's just Tolman bringing it and being really committed to playing this woman who's trying to kind of get her life together after a breakup, but backsliding a little bit, but also like professionally trying to figure her way through stuff. And it's, it's really good. Like all of that stuff is really good. I hate the dog. (laughs) Uh, And some of this is, yes, I'm not a 
huge dog person. Um, but a lot of the writing for the dog, and I understand that the writing for the dog is supposed to be reflective of the fact that he's a dog, but it comes off just like he's an abusive boyfriend. And like he, the dog repeatedly says dominate. And like, again, this is like pack dog, alpha dog kind of mentality. And that makes sense coming from the perspective of a dog. But when you're framing all of his bad behavior in this sense of like, well, I mean, I can be I can be an asshole, too, basically, and chew up your toys and chew up your things and knock over stuff. And it's just like, this is funny, kind of, but it's also just kind of weirdly creepy um, just in the writing. And so I just. I, I was left feeling kind of squirmish about it a little bit, just from the language and everything. Um, the funniest thing really for me was the episode tag in which the dog is dreaming about the cat across the street who he frames as an emotional terrorist. <laughs> and he's dreaming about the cat telling him that his uh, Alison Tolman's character doesn't actually love him, that no one will ever love him. And he wakes up and goes, I'm going to kill that fucking cat. Um, <laughs> they bleep the of course because it's abc um but yeah it, it's fine i think um i may do a, a couple more episodes um just because i like tolman a whole lot and to see if they can sort of do more with their relationship dynamic um but we'll see we'll see i'm i'm not convinced that this is a really good show though okay that then kind of makes sense why it was saved for mid-season here yeah yeah, I, I, yeah, and especially like the end of the like the the fall spring season is just like everything's going off the air. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, How do you feel about Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? Because I know we were big fans of the first two seasons. Uh, is, are there, is there more musical wonderfulness waiting for me? Kate, episode two just has an extended sequence of three different riffs from Lemonade. Ooh, excellent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, as performed by Titus, mm, of course, um, of course, who else? Uh, <laughs> no. So it's it's really good so far. I'm very happy with it. Uh, there's some really solid jokes at the expense of the Rooney sisters, of all people. Uh, but it's it's very funny. Um, there's more Josh Charles, uh, <laughs> who I forgot was in the finale until I rewatched season two. And I just went, oh, right. I forgot he was in season two finale and he's in like two or three episodes so far this season. Mm -hmm. And he's he basically dominates like episode five or six. Um, and it's really, really good stuff. So, no, uh, they pick up the gentrification plot that was going on with um, Carol Kane's character and her uh, decision to like run for city council or borough council or whatever it is uh so they picked that up um which i was really excited about because that plot thread was interesting but also kind of underdeveloped in season two so i was glad to have that kind of come back and then a bunch of other stuff comes back from season two like um gretchen's cult um, <laughs> comes back um and then the uh reverend the reverend's back as well um in a limited capacity and but that's fun david diggs is really good surprising no one <laughs> um yeah no it's it's been really good so far and i'm, I'm i can't wait to just to finish all of it in a nice big binge and just then start over again uh so <laughs> i'm eager for you to watch it um yeah it, it's just been really really good so far i'm, I'm really happy Seriously, Noel, Netflix is trying to kill me because I get—I still haven't started Dear White People. I still haven't started Master of None season two, and of course, I didn't start Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt season three because it's when you're sleeping 
so much more. There's only so many hours. There's only so many hours, Noel. Netflix needs to take it easy with this new buzzworthy show every week thing. Yeah, I haven't I haven't started uh, Dear White People yet either, and I'm I've heard nothing but really good things about it, but I have not started it. And instead, I decided to watch Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. <laughs> well, and there's a whole season of Catastrophe that I haven't even gotten to yet. And I loved the first two seasons of that. I'm sure it's amazing. There's too much. It's too much TV. I, you know, if I was just healthy and could be getting, you know, less sleep every night. Right. Then, yeah, right if, if I was running myself ragged <laughs> rather than recovering from having run myself ragged, then this would be fine. But Your dedication to television is disappointing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, television, that's it, not the paycheck. Anyways, yeah. um, I'm glad that you enjoyed that, though. Uh, I'm, yeah, it's in, it's encouraging, because a show like that, you, you wonder how long they can sustain the tone, so I'm, I'm glad to hear that in season three. It's still moving right along. Yeah. Uh, we'll, and speaking of, let's go on to Speechless, which had its finale this week, C.A. Camp. Um, I thought this was a nice finale. I mean, the show hit a peak, I think, around like 18 to, to yeah. 20 and it never quite matched that after afterwards but i do think this is an, another really fun and solid finale and i particularly really liked the stuff we got with jimmy and dylan um here that was really the heart of it for me as much as i think we're supposed to think it's maya and and, and jj and kenneth but but i thought it was solid yeah i liked it Right. I, I feel really the same way in that they peaked um a few episodes ago and then it was just kind of flat steady but still good mm -hmm. but flat steady since then and uh, camps are really good example of the show kind of being flat steady um i agree with you completely that uh it's about dylan and jimmy in this episode and the, their his disappointment at their vacation being the miami international airport um which is hilarious but then also just like going out and taking a quick cab ride around miami uh i it was just really, really funny. And it was really, really sweet because it gets to a lot of this, the sacrifices that all of them as like a family make and then having to like find their pleasures in those sacrifices, I think is a really good thing that's kind of run throughout the show, but to have it like epitomized really through Jimmy's frustration at not being able to give Dylan an actual vacation in some capacity. I thought it was really, really good, but her willingness to, always accept what was offered no questions asked and i don't even think she's really faking her sincerity in any way shape or form about like the restaurant and not being the bahama breeze-esque airport bar tiki thing that was closed for sand cleaning um i don't think she was faking her excitement about that at all in any way shape or form i think it was i get to spend time with my dad in a place that we normally don't get to spend time with that's enough and I, it's it's part of what makes this show just click is that that family dynamic is they're just there for each other regardless. Um, which is why some of the, like the JJ stuff felt weirdly discordant and kind of frankly, really forced after just one line from the physical therapist. And plus it also just kind of ended up feeling repetitive from some of the stuff when he ran, ran away. And so I just kind of went, Oh, this is, this feels like conflict for the sake of conflict, but I like that it ended with Maya arriving on a helicopter Mm-hmm. Because that's so her. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's very Maya. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Uh yeah. Uh what did you think about like Dylan's stuff with the late with all the women he 
meets basically and they're oh, all right? just, yeah yeah right 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 sorry. yeah no the um i i, I tend not to enjoy those storylines just because yeah. it pings the nice guy yes stuff which is all such bullshit and the sense of no one likes nice guys i'll just won't be me and you know. i'll be mysterious yeah because what what women really want is an abusive asshole, um, and the I, I think that's a really destructive trope to see repeated. Even if the point is that the lesson is to just be yourself, it's like yeah, but that's a good message and everything. And this is a show that is not afraid of its messages. But the way you get there is by reconfirming for the rest of the episode. That nobody likes Ray, even though everybody who's watching the show probably does. Right. And that he's, you know, he's wrong for just being a normal person. Uh, so so I, do, I, I just get really annoyed at that. And I didn't think it was funny enough to overcome that. And I'm hoping for a, a nice punchline to that next season with his yeah. new girlfriend. Because anyone who would be like, sure, I'll be your pen pal girlfriend in two seconds has got to have some issues. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I'm hoping that that well, will summer pin pal girlfriend. I mean, yeah, but still, <laughs> still the point remains. So we'll see what happens with that next season. But I sort of felt similar to um, some of the stuff in Fresh Off the Boat in the, in the Fresh Off the Boat finale, which I guess we'll we can move to that. Yeah, um, yeah. this is us and uh, the stuff that we got with like the, the group of friends. I just didn't really buy it. It felt like conflict for the sake of conflict, and I'm pretty sure that it'll just get swept under the rug in the first episode next season but then why well it's funny that you say that because like i agree with you but i also kept going where's allison in all this that's true where's his girlfriend in this i how does she feel about the fact that he moved two buses away <laughs> and i was just like and going to a different school and i i wanted to know where she was in all of this and her name just doesn't even come up ever at any point. And I was just like, that's a little, that's it's weird. Yeah. Uh, but I do agree with you that it felt really kind of conflict for conflict's sake. Um, and it felt like something that needed to be played out, like across a couple of episodes, really. And, but it's also, I agree, something that'll probably be cleared up as quickly as they will clear up uh, Chris Elliott being in their house already. Um, though I would like them to get a new house and get a new set and um see what they can do with that um because there was no way they were going to keep that mansion no, <laughs> no way that was not going to happen <laughs> if they end up getting a new house this would take care of it but i really hope they don't stick with the we're financially secure we've got enough money to buy a mansion and yeah. not sweat it because that there's so many shows on tv about characters who never have to deal with money, never have to think about money. And one of the strengths of Fresh on the Boat has always been that there is underneath some level of awareness and they're crunching yeah. and they're not turning under your conditioner and these different, these different um, just realities that yeah. to, to middle-class existence that other shows with a few exceptions don't seem to want to engage with. So right. I'm, I'm hoping that that will... Like whatever resolution they come up with, and in the beginning of the season, will wipe out this like or getting rid of Michael Bolton. Right, is what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, we'll just kind of reset everything to maybe they have a new house or they have maybe they have enough that they can get the riding lawnmower or something. But like, right. But we're back to more of a not 
taking for granted a mansion and private school and and so you know we'll see but those but those seated floors seated floors man so toasty uh, so toasty no I, I i agree and like the easiest thing to do is michael bolton's just gonna pull out and uh maybe he'll realize that uh he'll start seeing kenny rogers chickens go under uh, and um he'll just be like nope i'm done um though it's funny like when he showed up i immediately googled michael bolton in 1997 to make sure that he i couldn't remember when michael bolton cut off all his hair uh-huh so so i had to like google it and it's like hair hair chronology is correct mm-hmm. um because my mother was a big michael bolton fan i'm sure she'll be thrilled i'm mentioning this and she had a number of cds and so i'm very familiar with like the changes in his hair i love the, the hat. 90s. yes yes the hat was amazing <laughs> um, i actually kind of want that hat uh but no the hat was really good so yeah no he'll pull out and they'll go back and but i also feel like if they're successful enough that michael bolton's looking to invest then he's probably can like open a second one and i think that's mm-hmm. been mentioned once or twice at this point yeah and i wouldn't i would not be opposed to them opening like a second cattleman's and having a rotate him visiting each store each stores. week yeah and having a different like wait staff there and mm-hmm. some new like com- comedic uh character actors come through for a paycheck every couple of weeks and i think that'd be fun mm-hmm. so but yeah i agree that um getting back to that kind of concern but also where that concern comes from in like providing a private school providing a good education or not forgetting who they are is all like bundled up in that. And I think that's really important that the show maintains that, but also to like Lewis's point, enjoying the spoils basically is Mm -hmm. really important as well. And consistently doing it, not like a one-off type of, okay, well we enjoyed the jacuzzi and the heated floors. Well, that's all we get for this year. No, like little things that are really nice. And I think that's, I think that's important to see them enjoying their success as Lewis wisely points out. Yeah. No, it was a nice note. And I, I also liked the thread of the grandma um, and the ghosts. I, I liked when that when that came back and it wasn't just like a age and, uh, you know, race sort of uh, yeah. stereotype. When it actually served a plot purpose, I was very happy. Yeah, I, I thought that was really clever. And I, I, I'm just sad that they sort of wasted Ian Gomez a little bit. Um, yeah, no, they did. <laughs> And in the previous episode as well. So, but the payoff was really good. And I, I always enjoy when they bring in um, Jessica's real estate savvy to Mm -hmm. the show. So, yeah, yeah. no, it was fun. It was a fun finale for both of the shows and strong cappers to strong seasons as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's move on to our last show for the weekend comedy reality though. And that is drag race, RuPaul's drag race. We had the RuPaul roast, which um mostly was a mess and i want to know who what was the worst situation the what made you most uncomfortable the horrible delivery of pheromone or the have you seen the show to tamar braxton which was like (laughs) worse um let's see well in part because I don't think I was aware that Michelle Visage hated green, um, which I needed that explained to me because I didn't know. Um, um, so for me, it was the, like the pheromone just like cratering, just like just it, it was so bad. It, and I mean, it was also like coming off like tr- Trinity Taylor, I think. Mm-hmm. 
or in yeah I, I feel like that was the order yeah and yeah. trinity taylor was just like sk- skating by basically on having she's also bad but not not nearly as not bad. painful not like i kind of expect people to start booing you or yes. michelle visage to get really angry and the fact that she didn't i thought was actually yeah. pretty impressive yeah Mich- michelle is r- remarkably restrained at like the judging portion of all of this is just like she's just like you guys just didn't go hard enough and that doesn't make any sense because it's a roast you idiots <laughs> um so no i i no it's totally um pheromones just complete just not understanding how this works <laughs> it, it was it was very much time yeah it was it was it was very much time and even like i even like alexis um was like also just not good at either really um and but i mean i could tell from like the performance in the lip sync but also just overall i think like previous stuff basically saved her in a lot of ways like the chris jenner and the um liza minnelli both things from previous episodes are kind of like get probably gave her a leg up and made that decision much easier um so yeah it, it, i just i felt bad for a lot of people in this episode mm-hmm. and it made it also just for frustrating tv to watch because it was just like oh this is like a stretch of really bad roasting there's nothing worse than a really bad roast <laughs> um so but uh how did you feel about like the standouts or anything like did, who stood out in particular for you uh in this in this process i felt like shay didn't get enough respect because i thought she did a really good i thought she was just as good as peppermint and she had Mm -hmm. to go first yeah um but i i i the thing that was nice that i don't think they really commented on is that peppermint seemed like the only person who had ever really seen a roast before and understood what it is supposed to be where you're you know throwing shade at everyone but also it comes from a place of love and so and she was the only one who at least that we saw from the editing say but all seriously, though, I we love you and thank you so much for all the work you've done and all the ways you've helped us. And here's why you're a bitch. <laughs> but thank yeah. you anyway. It's like, like nobody else seemed to understand that there should be some warmth there, too. It needs to. It's not just insults and comedy. Yes, it's that. But it also you're supposed to bring it back around, at least at the very end, before you send it to the next person. Right. Right, and that's a really good point. And Peppermint, I think, as they said in the judging, was like super on point. Mm-hmm. Um, all just all from hair to hair to shoes to everything was just super on point. And also, just like the prize for this week was just insane. Mm-hmm. Like five year, five year, five years with Squarespace, who does not sponsor this podcast, damn mm-hmm. you, Squarespace. <laughs> but also, like getting them to like set up an online store and everything—that's huge. That's just massive. And really. Because I don't know, to me, that seemed like that was nothing. No, I think having like five years of support for a personal website and and an online store. I think that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, Because I I just think of, I mean, obviously the television website is like nothing because I haven't had the time to make it into what is in my head. In my head, listeners, there's a like a multifaceted televerse destination online but i just have well don't know that i'll ever have the time to fully execute it but web design doesn't seem like like at least the base level of it doesn't seem like it's that hard like are these ladies just don't they all have sites already or do they not i don't know 
Right. And I don't know the answer to that either, but I mean, also helping them like set up an online store is I think kind of really useful just from a revenue standpoint. Yeah. I mean, yeah. clearly like the other, the other prizes and stuff like it, see, it, it was, it's just for me because it was like my hosting fees every, like the, to have a website is like 25 bucks for anyone to have a website. But obviously these are very prominent figures who are going to have significant fan bases. So they need right. way more like that could theoretically be a much bigger deal. I just, you know, it just, I'm so used to hearing Squarespace pop up as like barely sponsoring a podcast that I enjoy. It was weird to have them show up <laughs> on TV, I guess. Way to diss the home <laughs> of John Malkovich's website. Um, no, so I thought that was a good prize. But yeah, no, Peppermint mm-hmm. was just really, really good. And I really enjoyed Sasha as well. Um, mm-hmm. Me too. I liked her. I liked her. I liked her opening. I thought it was really sharp. But then I was really glad that she remembered that she was from Brooklyn. And all she really had to do was make fun of New Jersey. <laughs> and that's all you had to do. And yeah. it worked really, really well. And her delivery of that was really was very good. And uh, so I was really happy with uh, Sasha's performance. And I liked um, Braxton's point about the fact that her humor matched her outfit, which was also like really, really good to match like all the sensibilities. And I, I really feel like Sasha's not getting enough like credit for having through lines. Like we talked about a couple of weeks ago with the snatch game of having like a through line between what she was doing on snatch game and then what she did with the Madonna costume. Mm -hmm. And there's just a lot of thought going into this. That isn't, I think is getting a little overshadowed by stuff that doesn't always fit with the format of the show. I also thought it was just adorable to watch Sasha. Cause Sasha, again, I pre these are not funny Queens. No, but there is not a single comedy queen up there. Like Shay and Peppermint got through it, you know, and and did, did well, all things considered, but there's no like, Oh my god! I think of what some of the other queens would do. Like what yeah. would be what Bianca Del Rio would have done to all right. the queens up there. Just oh, but um, Sasha understands. Sasha knows she's not funny. Yes, <laughs> and so and she then she she tweaked that and worked with that for Snatch Game, and she did yeah. the same thing here. And so I just thought it was so adorable when when the audience was reacting to her. Just be like, oh, this is working. Oh, I've got more <laughs> of these. I can do more. <laughs> okay well this is probably good i did not plan for this eventuality um but i'll go with it like i really appreciated that and like you said that we're talking we were talking earlier at the start of the podcast about brand identity and awareness and it's something that you know i know i've praised valentina for for yes. for being always on and and not dropping character and uh and having a thoughtfulness to the execution and like all the details um, and that's, I would say the same thing, like you were saying is true of Sasha as well. And I, I appreciate that through like Cause when you think of the different outfits she's done and the different challenges and everything, there is always an identity of Sasha that comes through all of that. Yeah. And she's, I think there's been enough variety that it doesn't feel like she's just hitting the same note every time. Right. She's not like hitting like a just fish style each and every time. It's like there's a very distinct aesthetic that, like you said, is like part of her um, identity, but it's different every time. Like, yeah, exactly. Exactly what you said. Yeah. And so I think I do agree that she maybe isn't getting quite enough credit for that. But uh, like it really was very much a. Oh, man, I thought Trinity was supposed to be funny. Yeah. Yeah. I thought Trinity was supposed to be funny, too. 
and no one really commented on that at any real point. I just went, I, even while she was going, I was just like, I thought you were supposed to be the really funny one, and this is this is not funny. It's not, no. I did uh-huh. like Nina's character. I like yes. Nina's character better than Trinity's character. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I enjoyed on, I watched Untucked this week and I did enjoy, there was some, there was some drama with Nina feeling like Shay was throwing shade at her that she wasn't. Um, and so I, Shay had a a smackdown (laughs) Uh about that, which I, which I very much appreciated. I appreciated Mm -hmm. Shay's response. And and so like some of the, that there is a little bit uh, in the dynamics that that I think is also was, was fun about this week's, but I shouldn't have to watch untucked to see that, you know? Right. Yeah. And like how much of that is just them wanting something for the diehards, but also just like, this feels like something that what you're describing should like be on the show. Yeah. Basically. And that it's, and when do they like ditch like the, using like untucked footage like in the show itself i i don't know i mean they yeah. used it used to be a longer show it used to be an hour and a half right. long show that's true yeah. and then if they had untucked it was a whole separate thing but they they used to cut back to the queens while the yeah. judges were deliberating and they stopped yeah. doing that um so i don't really know the timeline i have to say yeah. but but what between this episode and uh, the untucked for this episode it was very it feels very much to me like okay can we just let's just get rid of the bottom handful of queens and let's just <laughs> get real with it so hopefully that'll start happening i mean like that library session that was that was not good no no you're absolutely correct it was not a very it was i don't even want to say it was a not a very good library session it just wasn't a good library session yeah it, was, it just kind of all fell like flat and I don't know how much of that is just the fact that we've seen so little of them interacting in a non awareness raising segments Mm -hmm. and versus them just being kind of mean and catty to one another every now and then, um, which hasn't really like come through a lot. At least it hasn't come through as much. I feel like I don't have a sense of their personalities aside from Nina being fragile and Alexis being defensive and, uh, and sensitive, and uh, Valentina being, uh, <laughs> Valentina being overly cocky, and also stealth, super shady. Like she's yes. sneaky. She's super sneaky, <laughs> but she hasn't been playing that because it hasn't been to her advantage. Um, but like the most I can give you about any of the queens is like one or maybe two adjectives. Yeah. And the exceptions I would say to that are Sasha and Peppermint. And that's yeah. it. Those are the only two queens I feel like I have any sense of who they are. Yeah, and I, I'd agree with that. In part because I really like Sasha, but I also really like Peppermint as well. But they both have very distinct feeling personalities, even from like previous iterations of um, iterations, previous contestants, I feel like, mm-hmm. that they can, they really stand out to me. Yeah. So it's, it's a, uh, when you get to some of these favorite challenges, it's for, for RuPaul, like that's one of the things the show's done so well, I think is really establish distinct, um, memorable challenges, which can, can be very challenging on a competition sh- reality show. Um, but then you want them to do well, you know, yeah. you, you're expecting them to bring it for snatch game. You're expecting them to bring it when the library is open. Um, and we're going to have the makeover coming pretty soon. And right. I mean, yeah. I need, I don't have any, like, these are not good con- challenges. They need to yeah. stand up to them. 
and I'm not convinced that the makeover is going to be interesting from for a lot of these people, in part because we just we haven't seen them in the work workroom a lot either, like putting yeah. shit together. Yeah. And which is like one of my one of the most interesting things about this show is watching them in the workroom and putting stuff together and pulling all nighters and just like all of that. That's been really limited. Yeah. We this, haven't had I to see like. much creativity. Yeah. And so I'm I'm curious about what's going to happen when they have to do a makeover. Yeah. Well, we'll see. This week, they have, I think they're shooting pilots or something. So I think it'll be another comedy challenge, which, oh, goodness help us this week. But um, with, with, with these A lot queens, of comedy and sketch, sketches this, this season, it feels like. Well, it feels like that. There haven't been yeah. that many, but it feels like that because they haven't been very good. Yeah. <laughs> So they feel longer That's than true. they are. <laughs> well, what wins this week in comedy and reality for you? Uh, no, it's it's at least the first five episodes of Kimmy Schmidt for me. Um, but and the promise of more. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's definitely Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, what about you? I actually really liked Veep this week. The episode was yeah. my reviews over at the AV Club, and it was that's another show you can start watching if you're so inclined. Oh, I could have started watching it because like the first two or three seasons have been on Prime for like ever. Ye- yeah, yeah, no, I, I know. Anyways, um, yeah. <laughs> but what I wrote in my review, um, what I fo- centered my review around is that this is an episode that makes you feel bad for Selena, and it is impressive to me that they can still do that when she's so terrible and has been so terrible for so long, and yet mm-hmm. they do find that core of empathy for the character without feeling like they're negating all the other things that we know about her. They they add to that and um, that's I think that's really impressive. So uh, I'll I'll give it to Veep this week. I think. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, now we'll take a break and come back with our week in genre and drama. This week in genre and drama, we're going to kick things off with some Samurai Jack Talk C or 100. Then we'll move over to American Gods, Head Full of Snow, Supergirl, Resist, The Flash, Infantino Street. Uh, then we'll go over to drama for Elementary, Scrambled, and The Handmaid's Tale, A Woman's Place. So first up is Samurai Jack, and I'm caught up, and you were not kidding. That episode was so weird. I told you, so weird. And it, like the, the old timey standard at the end of the episode. Like, the whole episode, weird. though. Like, yeah. Like they're making dick jokes and they're like constantly like, oh no, I might touch you. Like, it's such a tonal shift from the rest. Of, I mean, I, granted, I was catching up today. So maybe it's just that it's been a while and they were starting with this stuff and I didn't notice it. But for me, it just felt like a direct pivot to a different tone. And. I'm not a fan. Yeah, and it's not even like part of like some of the better like comedy centered like Jack episodes from like the previous um from the previous seasons, I guess mm-hmm. I can say. 
Um, but no, it's just it's it wasn't funny and it was it was just a very weird sort of pivot. And again, it still also just doesn't make sense because he's also like 80 and she's like 20. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so it's just that kind of in a, a kind of a blahness. Um, so, no, I'm glad that you also felt it was weird and that was not just me. No, um, not at all. So how did you feel about this week's episode? And a continuation of a kind of a weirdness. I liked this one so much more and I could see why they wanted to have a romantic connection so that this would lead to more conflict with what's he going to do when Aku takes over her. But I don't think they needed that. I think they should have been able to just trust the relationship they had developed, which was such a strong one already. Uh, So I, I just, I really don't think they needed it, but I did, I did like what we got this episode. I thought it was very well done. And the, the the creeping like black over her skin and her body was appropriately creepy right and i i agree that like the layer of the romanticism from the previous episode that hangs over this one mm-hmm. kind of like sullied the episode a little bit because there's so much of that this idea of a and it's bound up in this but the romantic angle just kind of ruins it just a little bit for me of a, another Thing that Aku has taken from him that this is something that he Ashi is someone that he saved that he, um that he is like working to like help and rehabilitate for want of a better term and that now it's like something that Aku's taking from him yet again and I that's a really good thing to play up I really like that that's where we're like about to end the season on since the finale is this week um, but just the romantic angle of it just kind of make it made it again. Like I couldn't get away from the baggage of last week's episode and that carried over to this. But I, like you said, like the, the inkiness of a coup coming over her, I thought was really, really good. And the show's done a really good work with like kind of body horror stuff this and, but also bar, body comedy. Cause I just love the whole, picking off of needles joke <laughs> still is just hilarious. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I, I'm eager for to see what continues, uh, how we resolve all of this. Um, I, I felt bad for Scaramouche. Um, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed him getting here just in time to tell about the sword after they've gotten the sword. Back. Yeah. And then he got killed. Mm-hmm. Poor, poor, poor Scaramouche robot. Um, so yeah, it was good. I enjoyed the fight um, in the kind of like the gi- the giant robot graveyard. Um, I appreciated. And yeah, it was good to have like Jack and Aku within like the same frame and everything, which is always really fun um, just from character like energy type of places it has always been a treat. So those big stalemate driven episodes were always like kind of my favorite just mm-hmm. because their energy as characters were just so drastically different. Um, but there was always like an awareness of that, especially on Oku's part. And I, I appreciated that. Yeah. It is fun to not just have them talking about each other, but actually interacting once again. Yeah. And you know, certainly the, <laughs> the timing and delivery of that. <laughs> you don't have your, uh, crap. You have your sword. Um, I'm just going to leave. Yeah, now. <laughs> it was, was, was a lot of fun. So yeah, yeah. I, I'm confident it'll end the season on a strong note, just given the overall quality of, of this return season and certainly best return season we've gotten of something this year. Yeah. Right. 
I, I feel like that's probably super accurate. It's not even mm-hmm. like because we have Gilmore Girls and X Files, right? Well, those were last year. Those were yeah. last year, but I mean, like the in la- recent in the memory. Last year not this calendar year but in the last right. you know and and this is much better than either of those so right yeah and hey we're gonna get another x-files season at some point that's gonna be not that probably will keep very... working on that average anyway yeah. <laughs> uh yeah not too worried about that one let's move on to american gods head full of snow this is the third episode and the much buzzed about gin and uh male male love scene uh, episode did it live up to the hype for you yeah it did um I, I i i really feel like there's a point well okay so i'm of two minds in that the scene itself works really well but it's also just like i'm feeling like the weight of the novel kind of pressing on me to the mm-hmm. point where it's just like no show the novel gets to be self-indulgent by doing two or three different coming to america somewhere in america things within chapters you don't get to do two in one episode (laughs) (laughs) Uh, this narrative is already threadbare enough Mm -hmm. i don't need this for you to fill things out but it's a really good scene um it's really well acted and i think one of the things that i mean we talked about a little bit with orlando jones's turn last week is that these um sequences are all really good i think including like the one with um anubis at the beginning of the episode yeah and I increasingly just kind of want like an anthology version of the sequence instead of the show I'm getting. Mm-hmm. And then I'm fine. Um, but no, it's really good. I really like the tenderness that the scene plays up really consistently, including with like the really tentative touching that happens in the cab, I think is really, really good. It, that is so crucial for the later, yeah. for the sex scene that we get. Like the, yeah. the, because you the physical and emotional and intellectual connection that we see is so palpable so powerful the way that they play that in the cab i think without that yes it's still an interesting and notable and laudable sex scene to show or love scene i should say it's not a sex scene it's a love scene it's a very different thing um but with that it becomes so much more meaningful and um spoiler alert Apparently, we will see both of them again at some point, because in the book, we don't ever hear from them again. But we should expect to see both of them again. Um, Okay. And I do think that watching the episode, um, they were really not clear about what happens at the end. Because I I even saw people who had written reviews of this who thought that the djinn had taken over his body. When he goes that's, to be the cab again. Yeah. Which you, that's not the, what happened. That's not but. what happened. But but if you aren't keying into, well, he should have fiery eyes then. Yeah. Then you wouldn't necessarily understand what had happened unless you remember, oh, in episode two, when we saw the djinn, he was wearing the suit. Yeah. And the costuming of that, actually, I, I, I mean, I loved the costuming choice of the that's green sweater with that a green with flux of blue and then and then he's wearing the the salesman is wearing the blue suit and so yeah. when you see them that like, very kind of vinyl plastic looking blue too which is really good yeah the this but like the the these are two people coming together these are they, they're of a type they're they belong together like when you see them on frame together they fit um in such a nice way and so if you didn't remember oh yeah when i saw the gin earlier he was wearing his suit so that means that it's not that he disappeared or her he no longer exists or he like 
over the course of you know having sex they they he took over his body which is given what we saw with Billquist I completely understand people who thought that that maybe that's what sure. happened sure um but so that's a bit of an issue for me I think they should have done better with that but I do think what we actually got was still very powerful and and well done and um yeah it was it's it, the testimonials I would see some of the different reviews and people responding to this, uh, especially gay men responding to this, uh, just see, feeling seen and feeling included and being able to look on TV and see themselves. Uh, and specifically the fact that it's two queer men of color, too. That, that's two Muslim men. That's that's huge. Uh, so I, I thought it was it lived up to all that hype and was just a really, pl- uh, really nice episode to watch from that just that part of the episode but i also really liked the opening scene with anubis i was so glad we didn't see her die i was like yeah i'm so glad that the, the direction they took with that i <laughs> i like the cat really not caring and just knocking the the cat's human off of the, uh, i think is that supposed to be the human's cat off into the the abyss you know or is that anubis's cat uh well the, i mean there's the um, cat within Egyptian mythology, who the the god that manifests a cat. That's and I can't Bast. Remember. Bast, right? Yeah, and I, I couldn't I tell if that know. was supposed to be Bast. Yeah, that's what I was sort of thinking since the cat like kind of wanders off. Yeah. Um, but I, I I couldn't decide, and we'll find out soon enough, I'm sure. But yeah. um, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't make like a a decision one way or the other about if we were supposed to assume that was Bast or not. Yeah. But I did like that. It's like, uh, I'm just going to knock you off. I'm a cat. I'm yeah. just going to knock you off the, the into the... Yeah. I'm going to be a jerk. Just get in there. <laughs> just get in there. But we haven't talked about the actual meat of the episode, which is all of our other characters. Did that part... We, we Sweeney comes back. We get more with Wednesday. We get a second game of checkers. I know how much you loved that first game of checkers. So what did oh, you think? Such an exciting game of checkers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of this boils down to the fact that I really like McShane and um, Whittle. Whittle, thank you. I was about to say Little, but I was just like, that's not right. It's (laughs) something else. But I really like McShane and Whittle together a lot. And just like their ability to sort of riff off one another has been really good, even though it's like clearly not riffing. Like it's very scripted. Uh, but stuff like the marshmallows. Um, I love the like, marshmallows. <laughs> it's so good. Like Whittle's delivery of that is like, but I do like marshmallows. It's just really, really good. And it's really sharp. And they just have a really good rhythm. All right. Like they, it was starting, but it's like locked in place for me now. And so, but also stuff like Whittle really, really and slash shadow finding haddock as a person I thought was really good, but like Whittle finding a very different tone for Haddock um, was also really important. So like, again, from like an acting standpoint, I think the show's doing really good stuff. It's just, I don't care about anything that's happening still. Um, So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I just, I don't, I, I, I was amused by everything, but it's also like one of the better parts of the book as well is like this two man job that they pull. And this is like one of the better parts of the book, especially in the first half. And so I was, I was expecting this to be pretty solid. Um, and it was, so I, w- I was really happy to see that. Uh, how did you feel about the actual meat of the episode? Like you like Matt Sweeney a lot more than I did. So, and also how did you feel about one of our returning Fullerites? I know uh, Beth Grant. I was so excited. I was like, yeah, well, Beth Grant. Yay. Well, we had two then who, who else am uh, I forget? Who am I forgetting? 
You're you're forgetting Jimmy. I, I was thinking returning Brian Fullerites, who've already been on, been on the show, but you're absolutely oh, no, yeah. <laughs> right. No, we do get Scott, Scott Thompson for like oh. a half a scene, um, and I had forgotten about that. So <laughs> that yeah. It's so appropriate that if he's going to be on for just a short, not for a recurring character, he goes out right. in the grisliest way possible. I did right. love. I, I got a huge laugh. Out of that. I loved Pablo Schreiber's reaction. Mm-hmm. It was just literally like, oh, of course, this is terrible. You know, like I, I thought that that did uh, that worked very well. And, <laughs> and um, yeah, the. I also really liked the scene on the roof. I thought that they played that pretty well. I don't. This is again one of those things I talked about, whereas where that turned me off the book, where just everything felt very driven by cishet male stuff, where it's like every every woman who shows up wants Shadow, which yes, he's gorgeous. Yeah, okay, fair enough. But <laughs> this is a god who has never kissed anyone in the millennia that she's been alive. And Shadow is who she decides she's gonna kiss why chosen one chosen one yeah I, but you you could see what i mean like yeah no i I do see what you mean and it, it, it right when that happens over and over and over again as it does in the book it gets really old um <clears throat> so i'm hoping that this is not the start of a trend i do think i think that's what's on the page that's what they were gonna do the actors played it well i think widow plays it well all things considered but um other than that plotting issue i thought the rest of it worked worked nicely and i remember reading the book at this point and being like confused about like the coins and what's all going on and and that confusion still i think is translating for me um having it you know something you are in the visual medium versus on the page makes like we talked about last week some of the stuff a lot harder to stay skeptical about you know when you're reading it but i think the dreamlike feel of that roof scene and the fact that he wakes up and there is no ladder so he it's easy to think it's all a dream you know i think that they they pulled it off much better here than they did with some of the other stuff in the previous episodes yeah and uh, picking up off that trend um how how, did you appreciate that anubis can see into the future because i sure did remind (laughs) me remind me uh, he mentions uh, that um, uh, the woman's uh, son is going to give um, her his kid a bullshit middle name. Oh, yes. Um, named after. Yeah. Named after. And I just went, wow. So all these gods can see into the future, huh? That must be really handy. Mm-hmm. Except yes. for the thing that's going to happen. Yeah. But pay no attention uh, to that one. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought of that. But you're right. That is that is a nice little uh connective thread with what we were talking about last week uh, do yeah. you have any other thoughts about this episode or things you're looking forward to how do you feel about laura showing up at the end um i'm i'm excited like i know that like next episode's like very laura heavy um and in fact is probably like i think supposed to be like the first kind of semi-departure from the book um because like audrey comes back and i'm so excited about that um because she's fabulous um so and i think this is also like dane cook's first episode um which i mean I guess okay. I can. Yeah, I can be OK with that on some level. That's a sentence that you just that's said. a sentence. Right. I, I Dane Cook's here. Yeah. Um, OK. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm excited just for like a departure from the books, I think. And mm-hmm. this like I think that's kind of like been a lot of my hang up so far is like so much of this is just so 
heavily drawn without any editing really or any adaptation mm-hmm. it's just been straight shot type of stuff and I'm, i don't like straight shot ad- adaptations in most anything like otherwise i would just go to the source material and i don't need to see this recreated like beat for beat in mm-hmm. a lot of ways so i like flourishes i like differences and i like mixing things up and i'm not getting any of that yet and that's been kind of frustrating um but in part because i just the book's such a slog um so i'm ready for things to be shaken up and we'll we'll see when that starts happening maybe i'll kind of turn a corner with the show but we're also like approaching that (laughs) point so we'll see yeah Yeah. i was gonna ask is it worth your star subscription yet or but now you've got your new cable package so yeah so i i can't get rid of it even if i wanted to there you go i'm stuck with it kate I'm stuck with it, but it also means like there's more time for me to you for you to make me watch like Outlander. Yeah, there you go. There yeah. you go. So you have so many options now because of I this. I do. I have to use my wield my power thoughtfully. Um, let's move on to Supergirl and resist. And yes, I know it's blatant, but I do not care. The I next love... episode's even more blatant. Exactly. I love that this is called Resist, and I love that the next one is called Nevertheless She Persisted, and I don't care that they're just like, we'll just call it that, and then people like Kate will love it, and it won't even matter. Um, I thought this was a strong episode. I think they're going into a really, you know, they have everything set up for a really strong one-two punch at the end, and I love the end of episode twist. What did you think about Resist? Oh, uh, I think all of Resist is basically founded on the fact that Calista Flockhart came to yeah. Vancouver for a week. Yeah. And the writers were just like, we've been saving up all these quips. Please <laughs> save them all. <laughs> and I mean, she kills it. But also it's just like so much of this echoes like season one in really delightful ways. Like from we're going to do an inspirational broadcast message yep. to save the day. And I'm just like, Yes. I like this. I liked it then too. And it was really hokey and I like it now. And it's still really hokey. I don't care. Um, so I really enjoyed that. I, and again, it all boils down to like, it all boils down to Cat Grant. I like the fact that she just, she knows it's James under that suit of armor. I can see your eyes. I can see your eyes. And it's just like, Oh, that's, 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 that's true. But also just like with James's armor, I, I was so glad that he had that shield and that fight scene because there's no way to tell him apart from any of the Daxamites because they have the same costume. Yep. Yep. Pretty much. <laughs> uh, but no, so the rest of the episode's really good. Uh, I like the Linda Carter, Carter stuff that we get. Um, I thought it was really good as well. And Terry Hatcher's just leaning in so hard on being, well, not Trump, but Trump. And, <laughs> and, but like really, she's really like sinking her teeth into it. And I, I really enjoyed that. Um, so no, it was a really, really good episode. And um, I guess my big question that I want to ask you then is whether or not you actually think Lena would be upset. No, I don't think she would. No, I not don't think all. she would either. And also I think Lena's smart enough to put two and two together going, you know, Lena has to know. This Mon L guy looks a lot like that Mike guy that crashed my dinner with Ravi from iZombie. I wonder. That's the huh. thing, like <laughs> and, and and any First of all, Lena needs to know that Mon L is Mike cuz Yeah. Come on. No, glasses. No. Yeah. No. The if if you want to try to the, then her not then understanding that and making the logical deduction that Kara is Supergirl 
you can try to put up a it's, it's stupid but we're trying to break keep the show from breaking filter yeah. and i will buy into that somewhat right but like really it's just she wouldn't be angry at all she's no. keeps plenty of secrets and she's like that's one of the things we like about lena is that she's the kind of person who would not be upset at mm-hmm. all she would completely understand and she would be grateful to know if you know if Kara told right. her if supergirl told her but she would completely understand not she that woman's got plenty of her own secrets yeah and i feel the same way it's it was very much like i felt like that was a weird misstep or assumption about her um on lillian's behalf it was just like well it lillian, also points to lillian not knowing her daughter. not knowing her daughter right i was actually oh, just sorry. about to say that sorry. no no no. you're you're okay i i like when we finish one another's san- sandwiches sandwiches yes <laughs> um so no I, I i i thought that was just a really good reflection of how lillian just really does not get her kid mm-hmm. well adopted kid yeah and so I appreciated that, but I also just appreciated, um, yeah, no, it's just, it was a really strong episode. I was really happy with it. Mm-hmm. And we needed to see it, it again. I love it all through the show. It's women in power working together, um, or fighting or all these different things. Right. Um, but we needed to have the president say, no, you got to blow them up. That's like, yeah. You, that needs to happen and i just oh, love linda carter so much i'm so glad to get that now you mm-hmm. know because of our dvd shelf about wonder woman um because i haven't seen her in any significant role yeah beside you know and so so obviously she's most wonderful people haven't she, yeah she doesn't do that much yeah. acting um mm-hmm. but i did really like what we got from her here and it you know it's good it's it, it's a it, not just a gimmick it felt like a like not just stunt casting, but also then taking and, and developing something more interesting with that stunt casting. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's too many quips. Yes, it doesn't make sense. Some of the stuff with Kat and who cares? It's fun. She calls Win Winslow. I'm here for it. I also just like the fact that it was just like, oh, Callista, you've been gone for so long. How's all the stunt work going to play with you on the airplane? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next time you won't wait so long and we won't do these heavy stunts with you again. <laughs> and no, she's uh. never coming back after this. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on to Flash. Speaking of never coming back. Uh, oh, Infantino Street. Uh, okay, theory time. I want to yeah. let you know what you think. I think what we see in the Flash finale, and if they actually do this, I would actually be very happy. But what, it would be, what they could do that I think would work really well is that the Flash finale, breaking with tradition, is not an action-packed thing. Um, they might have some excuse for something. But what it is, is we watch Barry learn from his time travel early this season, and instead of pulling away from his family, embrace them, and not try to like go back in time and cha- save Iris and all that stuff. And if he doesn't do that, then little does he realize, because he's not thinking, because he's not, he's not that smart until the plot needs it, um, that then he never creates time remnants, so he never creates Savitar, so Iris doesn't die. And Iris just shows up. I don't know. I, th- I think that would be a really interesting way to do it. Because I, th- I think they could keep her dead, but I also think they could bring her back if they do something like that. What do you think? Well, it's it's weird insofar as, like, Savitar is kind of like a closed... They, they've described Savitar as a, like a closed loop. Mm-hmm. So even if he... Even like, and there's whatever that second thing is that he needs to like fulfill his extension or whatever nonsense is going to happen next week. Um, Is that I I don't think not creating the time remnant will 
prevent this from happening. Okay. But as as they pointed out like two episodes ago, the more you mess with time travel, the less the rules apply to you. And that's just the show talking about itself because yeah. they don't care. Yeah. Um, but I also feel like the whole transmogrifier thing showing up again so prominently, I just kind of went, well, maybe Barry made a time remnant and then turned it into Iris while they were doing the the shootout and they kill the Barry time remnant described as an iris, but Barry's just putting on a show. And it's just like, I'm trying to justify them not killing Iris and letting Candace Patton leave the show. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's dumb. It's bad. And the show already has enough lady problems that they don't need to kill off the black lady character mm-hmm. and fridge her in such a way. Yeah. And cause they've been doing that all season. And it's exhausting. And, but I, I'm in denial about it, and I, I don't. I think they're going to undo it next week because it's why I adamantly like kind of refuse to eulogize the character. Yeah. Um. In my recap, I was just like, I'm. I'm not going to do this. Believe it. I don't believe that you're going to kill this character off because you're just going to invite so many angry think pieces. Show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I liked. Um, I liked that they did. I think that if they do kill her off, they you know it's a decent episode to do it you know like they did they did decently well with that if it is the last episode with her but i also like that if they don't they've done this nice fake out of the vows which i thought was really well done yeah um very effective and doesn't doesn't feel forced or um ham-handed if they undo it it still has that same power because it's it's tricky to figure out a way to do like a final message thing like that that doesn't feel overly heavy-handed if they end up not actually killing the character. Right. And I think that's part of it is just goes back to how good Candace Patton is when yeah. they give her material to do. So like the vows on the phone is really sharp. Her scene with Jesse L. Martin, where they're talking about little things that they didn't tell one another yeah. is just a, a magnificent scene for the two of them. But B, for me, it also just spoke to the fact that these two are so close that these are the secrets they have from one another is, yeah, I spent your college money to go on a cruise (laughs) and Barry and I switched rooms so I could sneak out. These are the secrets these two people have from one another as father and daughter. And that's just great. That's really powerful stuff for them to explore. These two people love and trust one another when it's not about Barry's secret identity or mom being back. Yeah. And both of those are like different levels from either of these things, but they're so close that this is what they have to share and what's potentially her last moment. Mm-hmm. And it's just so good. And it's like you say, I, I agree that if it's not undone, that these are two very strong scenes for her to have gone out on. Mm-hmm. Um, but God, I don't want her to be gone. Um, no. Cause she's too good. And then the show's just not good at keeping, making interesting female characters. With no. much interiority, um, which is a big problem that they're dealing with the Caitlin stuff. But like I, the the season four synopsis kind of drop dropped with upfronts as it did for a bunch of other things. And like Julian gets mentioned in the season four thing, which I think is interesting because he doesn't even show up in this episode. Yeah. And so I'm assuming that's just like a placeholder type thing because mm-hmm. it's very nonspecific in a way that even like the arrow one wasn't like vague. Um, but yeah, I, I just kind of wanted to be, I, I wanted to be undone. Um, my, my other thing about Infantino Street is that, and they've been doing this for a little bit, for, um, like 
last week's episode with Barry's like uh, memory and not remembering things. Um, yeah. The, two of these like back to back is the fact that the show keeps remembering that it can be funny and frothy and enjoyable. And then it's just like, but also all this dourness, guys. And it's just like, you guys had Barry and Captain Cold team up for a heist in yeah. Argus against King Shark. Yeah. Why are you not like this all the time, show? You, Just all the time. You could be this. Why would you, you not be? You were this in season one. Yeah. And But now you have like a build, big buildup of like history between characters that you can exploit to do this kind of stuff. And even if I hated like the ridiculousness of, oh, well, you didn't let Captain Cold die. So here's the thing about Bob I said you couldn't have. Yeah. It's just like deeply dumb. Very but dumb. I, I didn't care because the rest of it was really good, including like the meta awareness of, well, it was too expensive for them to show the whole shark to be scary. <laughs> and I just went, oh, that's so good. That's so good. Um, So I was really frustrated by the the kind of tonal dissonance. And also just the fact that the show remembers it can be exactly what it was and then go, but yeah, we're going to kill the, we're going to kill the love interest because Barry needs to learn things. Well, and and can we also just have a moment to, to call some bullshit on Wally, whose sister gets, is about to get killed and he's saying, I let you down. I let you down. His the, the, Wally's upset because he let down Barry and Barry trusted him way more than he's upset that his sister is about to get killed, that he right. let down his sister and his father. And that is bullshit. Yeah, no, it points to all the problems with both um, Iris's. Well, not an arc, but the season long fridging that's been happening, basically. And but also like the Caitlyn stuff, it's not about either of them. Hasn't been. And because Caitlyn's not developed enough as a character for this to be anything more than I don't want to be evil. Well, no, honey, none of us do. <laughs> um, So that's that's fine as like a motivation, but there's nothing else behind it. And then like Iris had agency for a little bit and then they just kind of went, no, this is about Barry learning things and Wally becoming a hero and it's just like, oh, right. The guy's on the show. Right. Yeah. Right. Ugh, the sausage fest of a show. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where I, that's the that's the reason I don't want Iris to be dead, because there's Iris being dead feels like a surrender to me on mm-hmm. the show's behalf of going. We don't know what to do with this character beyond this. So we're just going to kill her. And I just went, no, no, you guys just come up with stories for her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That that's that's about, what you should do. That's what you should do. Um, but okay. I mean, are you going to bring back Patty Spivet? I, I, I don't know what you're going to do. So, eh, yeah, that's where I am. I'm not excited about the finale. I wish I were, but I'm just kind of like, unless they undo the Iris thing, I'm probably just going to burn everything down. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, the last thing I'll mention is I did... I did want to give a shout out to Keenan Lonsdale, of course, who plays Wally, because this week he came out as bi or yes, potentially or, pan, yeah, sexual. But but as someone who does not um, find romantic interest, uh, determine romantic interest in someone based on gender, and that is totally awesome because you know certainly I think wasn't bi visibility week like like bi visibility day like this last week or something. It was it's been recently, so, if nothing else. Yeah. 
Um, and so it, I, it's, it, there are not that many people who are out as bi. And so I think it's pretty, pretty cool that he feels able and will, he's willing to do it and he feels able to do it. Um, especially when he's in a, you know, like younger and, you know, looking to be cast as heartthrob type characters too. Right. And I mean, the show kind of like in the, even though like Colton Haynes had had, um, like some visibility thanks to Teen Wolf, but like got much more, I think, through Arrow. Um, and but his journey to that point was also kind of rocky, um, to say the least. But um, no, Lonsdale's um, uh, declaration, I thought was really, really good. And I like that he feels that he can do that and is still basically kind of like his career is like kind of just starting, even though he's done some movies he's done. I want to say a little bit of TV work in Australia, um, but I want to say it's Australia. He's, he's Australian, right? I have no idea. All I know is that oh. he can surprisingly, he can sing pretty well. Yeah, uh, no, he's they a good have sing- him sing in the musical. Right. And he can, he's also a dancer as well. Um, mm-hmm. So both of those things, I think also make a difference for like the show overall. Uh, but yeah, it, it was it was a really good declaration, I thought, from him. So props, props to Lonsdale. Um, yes. Let's move on to the dramas. And Elementary has been doing some different stuff um, recently, but we thought we should check in with it here before the finale. The episode is scrambled. And so uh, we spent all season with Shinwell just to have him get killed to motivate an attack on the mob, I guess. Yeah. That's not a good enough reason, but... Okay, how did you feel about this episode and like where the most recent episodes have taken us? Right, so I was I was feeling this like when Shinwell was killed, but I'm this episode kind of locked it in for me. Is that and is that elementary needs to abandon the season long like arc stuff? I think, and I mean we've been in agree we've been talking about this for a little while, but I think what this episode really drove home. And what Shinwell's death really drove home for me is that the show engaging in sort of like miniature arcs would be really effective because I love like their whole trying to figure out how to deal with this mobster mm-hmm. was really, really interesting and like really clever. And like it wasn't centered around like figuring out how someone died necessarily. It was figuring out who killed Shinwell, but that that answer is provided very quickly. Um, like here it is. Um, and so the rest of the episode is spent trying to take down this mob boss who's very, very clever. And I like that. I thought it was really, really interesting, but I also went, but the payoff for all of this would have felt much better if it had been much more compressed and not spread out across like nine, 10 episodes across the season, but done in like eight, nine episodes sort of all at once. And I, I even like the emotional impact of like Shinwell dying, which I feel like it is, is generally pretty muted. Um, in is just like an audience is just like, I don't care. But I even like Watson sometimes just, I'm not sure where Watson is on this. And I don't, I don't blame Lou for that because I actually think she's really good in a lot of this episode. I just chalk it up to the writing, not knowing where their relationship really was. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I feel about the buildup for it. But also I just keep remembering that Sherlock didn't care about taking off, taking down SPK at the beginning of the season at all Mm -hmm. 
And now he's just like, well, we're going to do it now. And I just went, you don't like Shinwell <laughs> at all. Yeah. But now you're ready to take on this. You're ready to take on this game. And um, I just kind of went, but it would have been way more interesting if you'd been on board from the start. And like you had been building towards this as opposed to all of it happening right now. So that's kind of where I was with like the meat of this episode was that I really enjoyed a lot of it. But I also just kept thinking, but if only this had happened in like January, I would have been much happier. And then we could have moved on to something else, like explaining Sherlock's apparent girlfriend. Yeah, okay, so <laughs> she's in his head, right? I had okay, I'm so glad that you had that thought too, because I assumed that she was in his head as well. Just from the fact that she's dressing in summer clothes. And she's got a <laughs> British accent and yeah. uh I mean like and so did we see her interact with anybody else at the police station? Uh, no, I don't know. Yeah, that's a memory or it's like a manifestation of his addiction or it's because she also says his name and he's just spoken at a not, you know, he, and she says his whole name and no one there should know his whole name. Yeah. And he doesn't respond to it like that's a surprise. So, like, I'm assuming that she's in his head. OK, good, because I was I was very much there, like after the police session. Mm -hmm. um but then it was just like the whole thing with the text message and the from a different cell phone number plus the stuff at the end i kind of went i don't know where this is falling and i wasn't sure but i was also but no i'm glad we're, we're kind of we were on the same wavelength there because i thought she was in, in his head too initially like first scene i just went oh well why is he talking to himself <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean maybe they're doing something else but I don't know, just the way the performance from Miller and like, why would you come here? That kind of a thing. Like, it felt like the kind of thing the show was going to turn back into. No, we've agreed like this space is off limits. This space is OK. Like, and we, it's time for an, and they were going to do some sort of a cliffhanger, I'm sure, with with him for next season. But I don't know. Yeah. Um, so how did you feel about, like, the rest of the episode, then? Oh, the rest of the episode was fun. I liked the Enigma Code stuff. That was neat. And the Facebook. Like, it was it was good, solid, like, case of the week stuff. Um, yeah. I, again, we've talked about the issues with Shinwell and, and how that has or has not been executed. Um, so for me, like, this is the thing, kind of thing where you could have done, like, a three-episode arc at the beginning of the season and then turmoil in the middle of the season for a couple episodes and then just at the end here and not needed to like pepper it in all the way through. Cause that's sort of, I think diluted everything, but, um, the actual, it was one of the more interesting actual puzzles of the week. Yeah. So hopefully that'll be continued in the finale. Yeah. And I, I, I think I really responded to the, like the puzzleness and the layers of the puzzle. It's just like file names and an enigma machine and then the blinds. And I mean, like all of it is just like really wonderfully convoluted, but in a way that totally makes sense. And I, so I really enjoyed that, but also like the quickness of which they respond to threats, like taking down the Facebook page um, or the Facebook page um, and all of that stuff. So like the rapidness of the response, I think is really important as well. And yeah, it, it's nice for them to go up against someone who's like legitimately crafty, but also isn't like Moriarty because basically that's the villain that's been like, an actual like legitimate puzzle for them. Um, Cause it certainly wasn't Mycroft and it wasn't uh, Moreland. Um, oh God. 
Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I'm I'm eager to see how they resolve the mystery of that taking down this uh, mob boss um, in the finale because I actually thought this was the finale. So when it ended, and I just went, oh. Well, we've got another episode. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm excited about this now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I liked that Joan got to be the one who like figured everything out. Yeah. That was nice. But yeah. I, at the same time, I'm also going, um, should I be concerned? Because Sherlock never sleeps. So the fact that he was sleeping while this other mysterious stuff is going on with yeah. that is like it's pinging little flags for me. Right, and that's a good flag, and that's a good thing to pick up on because even like I picked up on that too. Like when he was wandering out, like in pajama, like pajamas, and also this goes back to like something we've always talked about on the show is the fact that both he and Joan have clothes that look like actual clothes people would wear to bed, um, which is amazing. Um, but no, like I picked up on that too because I just went, "That's not how this works. This you're supposed to wake Joan up." when you figure something out, not the other way around. So, but no, like that's a, that's a good red flag to pick up on, on top of the fact that this nice brunette lady is in his head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we will talk more, more about it next week. I'm sure um, with um, the finale, but uh, leave, let us know your thoughts, listeners, whether or not she's in his head. Yeah. Jones suit at the end of this episode though. Uh-huh. Is so good. Like the yeah. tie looks like pure nineteen forties, high class nineteen forties gumshoe tie, uh-huh. and I couldn't get over it. Even though it's like wine grapes and not like yeah. splashy parrots, but yeah. it's just it's pure noir suit. And I love when they put Joan in suits anyway. So, mm-hmm. uh, I really like that suit and tie. Anyway, yeah, let's Anyways, let's move on. <laughs> let's move on to our last episode of the week, and that's the Handmaid's Tale: A Woman's Place. So this is our Serena Joy episode. Yes, um, and I'm curious what you thought. It had some pretty distinct shifts from the book yeah um but let's start with serena joy herself and the backstory we get for her here it's a much um it's a much less dramatic shift in persona from the pre to post gilead and i wonder what you think about that did you was that a good move for me this episode justified a lot of like their decision not to age either the commander or serena joy up um and a lot of that just is carried by the Serena Joy backstory of it all. I think is really, really good. Um, and, but while maintaining the overall essence of Serena Joy's from the book, insofar as like this was a televangelist who in the book um, preached like a woman's place, basically. Um, and this kind of domestic feminism, which is from the show, and I just, I really liked it. I liked the fact that they played up Serene Joy's role in making all of this happen and then not being able to benefit from any of it and not realizing, well, yeah, when you let men do shit like this, this is what happens. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to freeze you out. Um, but I, I liked the wholeness of her understanding, uh, not the understanding, but the the fact that she's committed enough to this cause to like with the exchange with the Mexican ambassador and the the reading and the sacrifices and the way that she navigates all that because she does see this as better than what was happening before it's just it's not exactly what she had in mind <laughs> um and so i really enjoyed that it it made serena joy slightly 
it showed Serena Joy's cage, basically, but it's a cage that she made herself. And I really appreciated that 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 part of this is still coming through because I think that's really key to like Serena Joy's placement within the narrative. And so, yeah, I I really I really like this episode. And uh, Yvonne Strahovski is just really, really good in it. And she's been really good, like across the season, I think. But like this was Emmy for this was Emmy submission for her, even if I think a lot of the stuff building up to it is necessary to get like the full force. But no, I really, really liked it. And I was really happy with what it showed. Um, So how did you feel about it then? It was a little too sympathetic towards her for my taste. OK, um, I can for me. I, I can see that, though. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, they, they never forget that she did this. Yeah, you know she she was. I I do like how complicit she is in the formation of all of this, too. But it I, from from my taste, it lingers a little too long on oh poor Serena Joy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would have. That's a simpler choice, as far as I'm concerned. It's less okay. interesting um, if we're supposed to feel bad for her too. Oh look, she didn't realize this is what it was going to be. You know, like I mean, she should have. And I don't feel bad for her that she didn't. Um, So that that part of it. hmm. But I do think it's it's a solid episode. Um, It wants me to buy a few things that uh, I'm not buying. First of all, it wants me to forget that Offred and the other handmaids can't until like until at the end of episode four, where all of a sudden, apparently all the rules changed. But they haven't been able to say anything of substance or ever reference the past or ever like say their name or anything like that until episode, yeah, I guess the end of episode four with like, we're all handmaids. Yeah. Girl power. And then here, the other handmaid is like saying, what did you overhear? Like, like that is the kind of stuff that we saw in episodes one, two, three would get her severely beaten or maimed for even like saying that. So the sense that they're having this kind of a conversation out loud surrounded by other people is ridiculous um and so that's very frustrating to me because they did such an effective job of, of setting up the oppression and the the pervasiveness and of, of the the regime and never knowing who was a true believer capital p capital p um so there's that also this idea that they're going to mexico wants to import handmaids um you realize you can pay people to be surrogates without enslaving them and raping them every month. Like there are other ways that you can have a very similar program to what, you know, the, the the attempted like breeding programs basically without, without doing this. And so the, the justification that the show gives at the end or that the character gives and this, 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 we're supposed to feel like, Oh, she's really torn. She knows this is horrible, but she's also facing this other thing. It's a complicated, it's more complicated than it seems. It's like, no, it's really, really not. It really, really is not. Uh, cause if you, you know, especially depending on different people's status, uh, socioeconomic status, if you're in a, if you're in a situation, if you're in a global world where very few people are able to give birth, all of a sudden, you know, be a surrogate for these two people. We'll give you a million dollars. You're going to get a lot of takers to that, I think. So I, I don't know. It was overly simplistic while also trying to play at being nuanced and complicated in a way that I didn't buy. Okay. I'll just take all of this in order. Yeah, well, no, I'll, I'll do two, I'll do part two in which, yes, um, regarding the handmaids being able to talk very openly and 
in the overhearing stuff is just way too quick. Um, even though it's like within the confines of like the dinner party, some attention's on them. But I, I want to say that stuff was happening while the kids were being trotted out. Um, so the attention was definitely not on them at that point. But your point overall stands in that uh, this is happening like really quickly and really openly is a little aggressive. Um, so going back to Serena Joy being sympathetic. Yes, I think the show really does a lot to make you feel sympathetic towards where Serena Joy ends up by her cage. But I still feel like the episode reinforces that she's pretty terrible. <laughs> That's true. Um, by like, well, aunt, we don't put the bad apples on top of the barrel. Um, and so get rid of all the maimed ones, please. Um, in which case it actually ends up being Lydia who ends up coming off as vaguely sympathetic yeah. And is like, I'll make sure that you get a whole tray of desserts, uh, which is like <laughs> terrible. And but also just like the nicest gesture that we've seen Lydia do ever. Yeah. Well, and it also <laughs> that speaks to her true believer status, too. Yes. Yeah. Her like her honestly believe like buying into this stuff and not just yeah. having a power trip. Right. And but then like trotting out the kids is a bit of theater as well mm -hmm. is also just like, again, like this is a woman who very clearly understands that she's willing to make certain compromises to maintain what's been created, even if she's not actually benefiting from it anymore. Um, so I, I, I feel like they do make her sympathetic, but I also really feel like they make sure that you don't feel too sympathetic. <laughs> um, and I think that's important. Um, as for the whole importation thing, it's weird. Um, it's just weird because I feel like the idea that they're driving home really subtly, especially because of how much, uh, Waterford mentions their decrease in like climate change and the quality of their food, and that kind of stuff is supposed to be indicative of the fact that the lifestyle that they've created through Gilead is what's responsible for this uptick in fertility. And so, well, yes, you guys could just import our oranges. Why not import our women who have benefited from this? And you'll just will you'll take care of it this way. And I, I feel like that's subtle. It's probably too subtle, honestly, that they're not drawing a connection between the re, their resurgence in fertility versus their political um, action. Uh, so I feel like that that's what we're supposed to take away from it. But I do agree that it is very pat. Uh, and it's also supposed to drive home really i think serena joy's overall like placement within the narrative that just gets duplicated onto this female ambassador who's willing to perpetuate this thing for the sake of her country and it's supposed to parallel and the success of that i think is as you've i think very sadly pointed out is debatable at best um but yeah, it, I feel like it's supposed to be like a thematic sort of reinforcement that doesn't quite work. Yeah. Well, and certainly if they want the narrative to be the changes in Gilead have right. led to a spike in fertility, 
they don't present that. That's right, not, as far don't. as I'm concerned, that's not there. Because it's like country with forced rape and breeding program versus country that doesn't have an organized breeding program. Of course, the one with the forced breeding program is going to have more babies. It's like yeah. country that, you know, I don't know, it start, focuses on any issue, any topic versus country that ignores that or doesn't do anything about it. It's going to change. Like the one is going to have more significant results in that area. If you put the entire like force militarily in this case um, of an, of a nation behind something, they're going to probably have more success with that topic, regardless of what it is. Um, So yeah, they, if that was what they're going for, which when you said that was like, Oh yeah, I guess that makes sense, but it makes sense. But it's a, it's a flimsy justification that I'm putting onto the narrative that the narrative hasn't assumed. And it also doesn't help that, like, Mexico's place, uh, like, policy towards fertility is never, ever explained. Yeah, and that's the kind of thing that they could try, they could have fit in, like, in, in the background of, like, over dinner or right. when she's being paraded around and there are all the different commanders are there or there's different places they could have fit a line or two about that. Yeah. But... And yeah. maybe it's just boils down to the fact that they don't want to do this to their own citizens. So they're happy to import someone else to do it. And there's like that kind of distinct kind of greedy capitalism aspect of it. Um, that's hasn't been like deeply woven into this. Like the economy of Gilead is on its last leg, apparently, since they don't have any trade. Um, since there's that there's room for a comment about their economy basically collapsing in six months. But there's not the room for, well, this is how Mexico's doing things. Yeah. And yeah. 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 Well, and the the arguments about, or the critiques, I should say, the critiques of Handmaid's Tale as a show that takes the objectification and the brut- brutalization of people of color, specifically in America, and transfers that to to basically white ladies and then wants points for being so daring is really underlined here when they're like, oh, we're going to bring back slavery with Offred. Is it horrible that this would be a thing? And I feel like to not have June make that parallel, like explicit, does not help with the critiques of the show, like in in their, their engagement with or attempts to disengage from a conversation about race. Right, right. And the show's never really dealt with the race in any real way, shape or form so far. Um, Gilead's willingness to have systemized rape um, transcends race. Um, Yeah. But I also like, I don't recall seeing like a black commander either. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I'm not black men are like noticeably absent. Yeah. um, Which is interesting. Um, Yeah. Even though I feel like there were some black guardsmen in the flashback, but I may be misremembering. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'd have to go back and watch. Um, that would be interesting to like keep an eye out for. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but again, the sense that Mexico is going to restart the slave trade. Yeah, and we're not going to talk about that. Is what it is, and we're not going to yeah. talk about how that connects to this this larger discussion on the show or the way the show's approached um, race in. For you know, formerly New York and you know in America, uh, or formerly America is a little unfortunate. I, I mean, I think that's a missed opportunity, and certainly um, I was already very interested in that that read of the show and 
Uh, I would love to see more pieces. So editors pay people to write more pieces about that. Um, but after watching this episode, I was like, oh, I can really see, really see that critique even more after this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any final thoughts on Handmaid's Tale? Are you, I hear we, we might be cutting up to Luke soon. Are we? I don't yeah, know that in I... A, I a future episode? I don't know that I really care about Luke. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, not Luke. Oh, I'm thinking of Nick. Um, I don't care about Nick. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't know how I feel about that idea. Um, one of the things I always liked about the book was Luke's sort of lack of a presence, um, mm-hmm. like that kind of off off page sort of influence. And I don't know that I need to see what he's doing in a post Gilead world. Just the idea that he exists and someone can like get in contact with him, I think is interesting. Um, but I don't necessarily need him to show up or to have like an episode from his perspective. I don't know that I really care. Yeah. Which may make me a bad person. And I mean, we were talking about black men and like Luke's black, the, um, the black character, black male yeah. character on the show. Yeah. 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 So, anyways. How do you feel about that idea? Then? Uh, I will see. I'm going to yeah. wait and see the execution. Yeah. One of the, powerful things about the book is the how focused it is how tightly focused it is and so to lose that by branching out to follow serena and to follow um uh of glenn and uh to get more flashbacks and to bring in mexico and bring in canada um you're you're sacrificing some of the tone but what you're gaining from that is you know seasons of storylines if they want them so we'll see yeah yeah. And they do want seasons. At least they two. Do. <laughs> they do want seasons. Well, what wins your week in genre and drama? Mm, Supergirl. I'll give it to Supergirl. Um, just for the keck ran of it all. <laughs> um, uh, what about you? Um, I will I'm kinda of tw- there some of these, several of these are very of a piece for me. Um I guess I'll give it to American Gods. I started to feel the the style more even mm-hmm. though that they need to get away from rain it's like brian fuller david slade you already you're done with rain because hannibal you don't get to just keep doing like if i hadn't seen hannibal that shot of wednesday and cloris leachman's character whose name i can't remember in the rain would have been like ooh. but it's like you've already done rain and umbrellas in mizumono you don't get to do it again <laughs> so yeah. uh but but the opening and the stuff with the noob is visually i thought was much more interesting. Like the other visuals that they were doing were, were starting to come together. So hopefully we're headed to new, you know, visual language territory. So no, but okay. No. Yeah, okay. I don't think. Yeah. But okay. okay. Yeah. Well, um, that will bring an end to our weekend TV. Now we'll take a break and come back with our discussion of sense season two. So who is standing here? Who am I? Who am I? Do you mean, where I'm from? What I fear. What do you mean? What do you see? What I've done? Oh, hello. Who am I? Nothing changes if we keep playing safe. When you turn your back. Look at me. Look at us. So don't even try to hide. Miss Bruce has turned me into a fugitive. You're always under attack. You could be listening at any moment. Every day brings me that much closer to you. If you want to stay alive. 
How long does he think we can keep hiding? Choose your weapons wide. It is not a game. Cause everybody has to fight. This is a war. Help me. She's in trouble. There's someone on the inside who knows whispers. It won't be long. You're hunting us. We're coming for you. Why does Whispers have so many resources? It has to be because there is a lot more of us we need to find them. Bring it, bitch. We're back with the Televerse, and it's time, Noel, to talk Sense8. We talked a little bit about it last week, uh, looking at the beginning of the season. You had seen the whole thing. I was behind. I have now seen the whole thing. And let's just start off by saying how fabulous it is that this show exists. Yeah. Right? Can you think of another time in American TV history where the show could have existed? Oh, gosh, no. Well, no, because, I mean, so much of it is bound up in part like from the streaming like this isn't even like a premium cable sort of thing that hbo would have been able to do um until like right now um just from like a money logistics standpoint um this is something that they would not have been able to achieve um but no so like from like an industrial standpoint this is something that couldn't have happened um without netflix's massive amount of money i mean since they shoot everything on location yeah um, which is amazing which, yeah which is amazing and like their setup of like directors um basically being location-based as opposed to episode-based makes a huge difference mm-hmm. but no like this is something that basically could not happen except right now uh given where the television landscape is but also like socially and culturally where the expectation of television as a global product is also something that is deeply embedded within this show. Mm. And so, and then just sidely speaking of terms of being uh, increasing acceptance of and desire to represent very different perspectives than what's been typically depicted within not only television, but film as well. Mm -hmm. And the degree to which that is accepted, but also in this case, deeply, 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 deeply and gloriously celebrated is really key to the show's success. Yeah, absolutely. And and like even just something as simple as like, this is a show about emotion, feeling and connection and, and tangible tangible connection and so filming this green screen would not work anywhere near the same if you can feel the locations you can like the the light the specifics of the light in different locations it comes through and so when you have Lido, uh you know when they're on the beach and the way that the light shines on them versus when we see uh um Kala and uh, and 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 Wolfie in Mumbai with that gorgeous pink and orange backdrop, the light there versus what we get in Iceland versus what we get in Berlin, all these different things. It's you would not get anywhere near the power of their connection and of this globally spanning that it would just feel like another show that's air quotes set everywhere, but really feels like it's set nowhere and 
it's just a one like I marvel watching the show that it exists because it's stupid expensive. <laughs> it's got to be. Yeah. I mean, how yeah. many cast members are there? Like how many speaking parts are there? It's ridiculous. Well, I mean, getting to like cast members, it's so weird to me that the actors who play um, Danny and Hernando aren't series regulars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I'm assuming is like just a logistical yeah. sort of thing. But yeah. it's also just like they're in every episode. Yeah. <laughs> if Leto's in an episode, they're in an episode. Yeah. <laughs> And Leto's in like every episode because he's amazing. Yeah. Um, oh my god. The stuff with okay, the different pairings that they can do on the show are amazing. But I particularly love the stuff with Leto and Sun. Yes. This season. It's like oh, I didn't know I needed that pairing, but I do so much. Right. And I mean, well, let's just kind of like dive into this idea of pairings now, because this season does a lot of really good stuff with that. Mm-hmm. Since they're all kind of they're all tapped into one another now. Mm-hmm. And it's just they're able to explore different dynamics between one another. So, like, even though, like, last season there was some really solid Wolfgang and Leto stuff because Mm -hmm. of where their kind of their actions sort of overlapped and needed one another as a skill set. Yeah. But, like, the emotional stuff, like you were talking about with Leto and Sun, especially towards the end of the season as, well, middle of the season, as Leto's, like, mourning his career and i mean we talked about this a little bit last week and yeah. it's just it, it's so good it's yeah. really good but then the will and kala stuff i think is like kind of like the stuff the thing that i actually really like tapped into because kala's always been a little isolated mm-hmm. from everyone else in weird ways um yeah. aside from wolfgang but so having her be able to interact with will um and with a narrative purpose but also with a kind of an emotional purpose as well uh, it was just really good. And it gets to your larger point about the show being just very driven and founded in this idea of connection and emotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Leto in a, like basically a onesie. Oh God. His sobbing onesie is on amazing. The, on the ground. <laughs> it's so good. It's just, it's so good. And what, what it, and then, of course, later in the hotel room, I just thought of, of course, Inside Out and sadness and and son needing that so desperately, but not even having any awareness that she does. Hence why Leto finds himself there, um, yeah. because that's what she needs. It's just absolutely gorgeous. And this is a show that can that just can, keeps finding these beautiful gorgeous gorgeous moments um you said last week that you're not big on will how can you not love will after you saw the stuff that amazing stuff we got with his dad it's base it's the best scene that will's ever gotten it's amazing no i'm not denying that i still don't really care about will will's awesome he's so white bread well yeah he is but that's okay (laughs) it takes all types that's what sensei teaches us noel it does, but he's all—he's still like sort of really the least interesting character. <laughs> That's a big eye roll, anyways. Oh, <laughs> we, <laughs> what we get, like I think of the different pairings. Since we're talking about that, the, I think that that Sun and Leto pairing is my favorite new one this season because of the stuff we get in the hotel room. But then later with, um, with the audition as yes. well which is so beautifully played um and i think just the the as i think you could think about this in a D level uh uh in a gaming level as i'm sure to some extent you you might as well 
because I know you have your, your your Adventure Time game that you that you that you play. But um, I love that this show respects and finds space for a Leto when because like action set pieces. He just knows how to look good fake fighting. He doesn't know how to fight. You know, he doesn't know how right. to do the, many of these things, but he knows how to lie and he knows how to read a see, read a yeah. situation. And the way that they, the the fact that they value that, that they value the bard in their, in their group, yes. you know, it's something that I really appreciate. <laughs> do you, oh, come on. Don't tell me you haven't thought about it in that way. I had like, I mean, I hadn't thought of Leto as the group's bard, but he is nothing but a skill monkey. Oh my god! Because I mean, he even like he identified. He's like, no, it's it's so good, Kate. He he leveled so up when he was filming that one movie, and he put like ten into bartending. Because why not? <laughs> <laughs> it randomly comes into play. What what was that? Um, what was the name of that movie? Because it was like the best. I name. don't know. But all the, his anyway. Yeah, they're all yeah. they're all delightful. They're all great. They're yeah. all great. Yeah. Um. <laughs> What are the what are the characters that shone through for you this season? Um, well, I, I think Sun is like the most obvious choice. I feel like Sun's Sun's Sun carries like a lot of like the episodic narrative weight mm-hmm. um, this season, and rightfully so, um, because like her drive for revenge uh, from Jailbreak Baby, yeah, <laughs> so good. <laughs> Um, to even like uh, the, um, stuff with Detective Moon, who, man, I hope he, I hope Detective Hottie. Yeah. Yeah. Detective Hottie, um, (laughs) um, really like stood out. Um, and it was like this really solid, like, um, non mythos ongoing plot this uh, season that I think worked the best. And, um, but just like also like some of the smaller emotional beats, like, when she sees her dog again, just oh, like, God. oh God, when she has yeah, to exactly. leave the dog. Yes. Again. When she has to leave the dog again. And it's just like, <sighs> Oh my God, this is all really tough. And I cannot deal with this right now. Since eight <laughs> um, was really, really good. But also like the connection between her and her master was really good. And so, yeah, no sun really shone through for me. Um, but I also really liked a lot of the Nomi stuff this season as well. Mm-hmm. And from the, even if I wanted a little bit more set up for like the wedding, mm-hmm. the payoff with the wedding stuff. Oh God. Yeah. It's really good. I was about um, to be so angry at the show when, when, when Wolfgang is he- heading into his dinner and we mm-hmm. know that Nomi's headed to her dinner as well. Yeah. I was about to be so angry with the show. Cause they were going to, they were going to cost that. They were going to have Nomi have to sacrifice that. And I was yeah. going to be so, and then they didn't. And I was like, Oh, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly the same way. Because I've like when they joke about like uh, uh, the concern about Nomi basically consuming everything. I'm mm-hmm. just I don't want you to do that show. Please don't do that. And then <laughs> I mean, it's like, just like she totally does. But like, right. it's not her but fault. It, it becomes like a big reversal and turning point for the family, mm-hmm. which is really significant, I think. And also just the joke of I'm a congresswoman. It's just like. <laughs> This is so good. Yeah. Um, so no, Sun and Nomi, I think we're kind of the standouts um, in terms of just like the sensates that really kind of like were hitting for me in a way that they, well, Sun was always hitting for me even last season, but th- both of them, I think, took a real step up 
mm-hmm. in terms of like narrative focus and strength this season for me, um, which I can't say for some of the other characters. But who stood out? Who like stood out for you this season? I love this these characters and mm-hmm. this cast, but I think if I had to pick one, okay, person to follow, it would be Dunavai as such. Okay, like in other things yeah. because yeah. she's so good and yeah. she can do so much and they all can do so much they're all wonderful don't get me wrong but um i just find myself captivated by her performance and and maybe some of that's the character and the stillness she gets to play so much um but yeah it's it, it, she's terrific all season um the stuff that we got with Kala, I liked the turn where there's actually all this other stuff going on with her husband that she's just not paying attention to. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was nice. Um, did they have did they have to punish the couples that they get together first season? It's they Will and, and, and Riley get together and then tragedy. And then this season, just as they're about to get Kala and uh, and Wolfie together, of course, he gets he gets taken away by whispers. Um I liked I think they did actually a really good job. They did a much better job in the second season of establishing and, and expanding out the mythology and yes. whispers and all of that stuff. Cause that was kind of like, and also ran in season one. It was there, but we all wasn't it was, that great. Right. It was sort of the worst part. Whenever it would come up, I'd just kind of sigh because it was just like, you're not going to explain anything to me. And it's just going to keep feeling kind of muddled. Yeah. And uh, dance man, I think is terrific as whispers. Um, yes. <laughs> and did did you did you fall for the uh the thing at the end where Will was actually there? I did. I did. I did um, too. <laughs> uh, but I really but like I mean we're talking about like how good um Terrence Mann is, but he's super good in that scene of really selling that horrified realization. Yeah. <laughs> he's just like, "Oh, f- you're you're in this room." You're actually <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, no it's a really good scene terrence and it, no it's really good and no i like i completely fell for it um and uh, I, I don't want to talk about the finale yet but um mm-hmm. because there's stuff about the finale that i love but also hated mm-hmm. um so we can talk about that a little bit later yeah. um but how did you feel about like this expansion of the mythos since you you brought it up and like um okay kate this was really bothering me okay halfway through the up as soon as we got like more realization of more sense um homo sensoriums Mm -hmm. around the world how the are all of them on blockers but our group (laughs) where do you is there a blocker superstore somewhere that are that our group just haven't earned a membership but like how do they all have blockers well, all of them <laughs> i think it's i think it's important to remember the that... people in africa have blockers kate <laughs> well i think it's important to remember that our cluster are babies yes they're they're very new they've only been around like a year they're, yes. they're one-year-olds but then how did the other groups get, end up getting hands on blockers well our our group's going <laughs> There is such a thing as blockers, and everybody else is like, "Oh, they're so young." <laughs> Remember when we were that stupid? Yeah, I, I, I do. It was bad. Um, so, what I would say is that likely, I would imagine there's like a whole network, as we see, like Puck knows right. three hundred and something, forty or sixty um, different uh, sensoriums, and so in that, I mean, 
he could easily make that just be his industry. Right. Like, that could but be then just... I immediately go, then why isn't someone tapping this brand new market? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. Um, but yeah, and, and uh, th- that expansion of, of the Sensates and this, because it had never occurred to me that there weren't others out there. But I yeah. like this idea that this season they're like, oh, maybe we're not alone. It's like, oh, yeah. I just... I assumed you knew you weren't. Okay. <laughs> so, but it was nice to watch them play with that. And, and you know, what we get with Leela, I think works, works very nicely. And, and, and again, you're, you're getting to watch these characters again, to use the, go back to the analogy, you're getting to watch them level up and learn new yeah. skills and understand more how things are connected. Um, they're making big plays that these are the people aren't making, but some of that's because they're inexperienced and they're young right. and they're confident. And I also think we'll, I would like to see more explored this idea that they are very fortunate in who their cluster is. Yeah. Because they're all very warm, kind, good people. They don't have somebody in there who's so self-shaming. He's going to happily turn himself into a uh, a zombie so that he can not pr- pretend that he's normal, your quotes, you know. Um, right. Like, like was in, I think that was, that was Angelica's first cluster, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know. I or, think no, it was... Was it her first cluster or was it the cluster she was a part of? One of the two. I'm not sure which yeah. one. I think it was yeah. the cluster she was a part of. A part of. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I so, think. So but having yeah, this this peak at a much larger world, but not an infinitely large world, like yeah. several thousand in the world. That, that that I think was really effective. I loved the fight scene we got with the two sensates, with with Wolfgang and and Leela. I thought that was that worked really great. And they, that offered so many fantastic opportunities for the visuals, which yeah. was so fun. Um, and I loved what we got with Sylvester McCoy, even though that was super pat and like, I trust you. Well, I'm not gonna be out trusted. I mean, come on. That was stupid, but I don't care because it's Sylvester it McCoy, yeah. you know. <laughs> so, so that that larger like spinning out the world into this larger space and venue, I thought was very effective, and um, I, thought, I thought they used their time well over the course of the season on all yes. these different plots and juggling so many different things. I, you know, they didn't forget they 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 kept lots of great stuff for Amanita, but they also introduced Bug, and then they had that beautiful proposal scene with Nomi and Amanita. Oh, God, so so good. They did so much amazing stuff with the Sensates and and the mythology and Whispers and the plot and the action, you know, and then they also found time for personal life stuff, and they found time for, um, to build out a circle of prison friends for Sun, like, (laughs) to have Kefias run for office. Like, the, 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 the breadth of this show Mm -hmm. is remarkable. And the fact that they are able to still find depth within that in small moments, but still in any moments is really impressive. It is. And the balance of all of that is really great. Cause I mean, we're consistently talking about like um, Netflix sag and I never really experienced that while I was watching it this season. Um, And I mean, a lot of consistent Netflix season I've seen. Yeah, no, by far. And I mean, a lot of that has to do with the fact that, I mean, they did 11 episodes. Um, well, 10. Um, 10. Christmas special is one Christmas of them. special is like one, but it counted as like two-ish, I think, in terms of like production. Um, but yeah, so they had like 10 to 11 episodes and it made a huge difference. And I mean, a lot of that also just has to do with the fact that like even season one has that kind of saggy parts in it. 
But all of that stuff is because of the fact that there's so much we're figuring out how this works stuff. And now all of that is gone. And it's just like now we're together so we can do cool shit. But then we can have all of us responding to this weird stuff that we don't understand yet as a group. And so it'll it prevents a lot of like the weird sort of I'll just get on with it that I think like plague season one, especially in like the first half um, where you're just like, oh, God, please stop asking what's happening. And just kind of (laughs) I understand that this is very weird. And I think all of us would be responding in this way. But type of thing, whereas this season does not have that problem. So it, it there's not a sense of lag in anything that's happening. I mean, there are some plots that don't work quite as well just because like Caffius, I think, comes off as really passive in his political plot. And I also really hate that sequence in the in the journalist's apartment where he's amazed by everything. And I just went. Caffius watches TV and he's traveled the world by proxy. <laughs> and he's, I don't... he's very, he has many thoughts about London tea. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, I don't feel like he would be really, really flummoxed by that refrigerator mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or the coffee maker. Yeah. Um, so a lot of that just feels like rube humor that didn't really click for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but bring Caffius in. Um, how did you feel about the recast? Oh, I thought it was worked just fine. Um, yeah, the the Christmas special was a little precious about it. A little precious, yeah, is... <laughs> was a lot precious about it. But um, given the rumblings as to why that recast yes. happened, yeah, fuck yeah, it's fuck yeah, it's yeah. perfectly in keeping with the show. And if they want to be tongue in cheek about it, which clearly they did, yeah, then go for it. I think it's also the kind of thing where. They're making the show. The show is their life. They forget that we haven't seen Caffius in like a year. So like, we don't remember as much exactly what he looks like if we haven't just watched the other things. Right. So we don't need as much handholding as maybe they think we do on that. Yeah. But yeah, I, th- I, th- I thought the recast worked just fine. Yeah. And I was like a little hesitant, like in the Christmas special. Um, mm-hmm. But as this season was going on, I kind of went... I don't see the previous actor working as well in this sort of a political plot mm-hmm. as this guy is. Um, and I, I can't, couldn't quite put my finger on, on as to why, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of it is like the fellow who takes over and I want to say his name. Toby Anumere. Uh, yeah. Toby Anumere has like a real sense of quietness that um, Ami, Amin, Ami Amin didn't really have. Mm-hmm. I think. And so I don't think like that speech sequence um, would have worked as well from him as it does from um, Toby. And yeah, I, I think that I it ended up like I was much more on board by the end of this, like the middle of the season than I was like after the Christmas special. Mm-hmm. Where I kind of went, I don't know about this just yet. Um, yeah. But by the Christmas, by the middle of the season, I was just like, oh, this this was a good this 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 is working out for me. OK, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, maybe maybe now is when we can talk about the finale. Um, there are some contrivances in that finale that I mean, this guy is running for the president of his country and he just hops on a plane for London. Come on. Yeah, well, he's running for like a council. Oh, co- legislative, oh, council. OK, it's like a legislative seat. OK, that makes way more sense because one of like the 
the the younger girl who's mm-hmm. a fan of his said something about president, but I think she maybe yeah. she was talking down the line. Down the line, no, he's running for like a legislative seat. Um, okay. Yeah. No, I, but I still, don't. Think, he's running right. a campaign like right now, and he just hops on a plane. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about the finale and who's the fact got that, the money for, for? Are we just assuming that Nomi's like skimming money from banks or something for all that's, of them? That's how I'm assuming. Like Riley was able to fly everywhere at a yeah. moment's notice yeah um but yeah i assume that nomi was just skimming money because <laughs> there's no way else anyone else in this cluster can pay for anything yeah. um like Lido was worried about paying for their nice new apartment mm-hmm. um that danny's um trust fund was no longer going to pay for and god i was so pissed when joaquin showed up again yeah oh that jackass i was glad that yeah. he left very quickly anyway yeah the finale um i was really frustrated that we didn't get a a moment of them all meeting in person mm-hmm. and then i wanted a moment of them planning the heist that's the best thing about a heist <laughs> <laughs> is them planning it and going through how it was going to work and seeing what everyone brought to that table and then it's no we just did all of this and it's just, uh, 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 mm. i thought it worked here's why because okay. we saw that with son's stuff and with her escape we saw them all doing that real time where they're yeah. they're like planning and working together like so i feel like it might have been repetitive to have the exact same thing the next episode eh, no you no because no, <laughs> i like a good heist setup kate um mm-hmm. but it um yeah so that's kind of where i ended up with the finale was like i was really like like wtf ah type of thing of like this is all really exciting but it, like a couple of days later i kind of went but i wanted to see them all meet and then i, I did, wanted yeah. to see them i wanted to see them all plan the heist and i also kind of wanted to see like how Lido explained all of this to Hernando and to Danny. Can we talk about the fact that the only person who's not in the cluster who knows about any of this stuff is Amanita and Bug? Mm-hmm. None of them have told their significant others. Right. No one else. That's and I crazy. Feel, and I f- and like the fact that like Lido and uh, sorry, like Hernando and Danny don't know is like yeah. I can't deal with that anymore. Like, yeah, they need the two to know. of them. They need to know, and they have to know after this. But yeah. everyone else, like, I, I don't want to tell Rajan. <laughs> and I, I, I have, but and, like, and Wolf Gang, I don't know that we necessarily trust his brother to not get drunk and say something. Right, and... but this also gets to the fact that Wolfgang's plot this season was just kind of bad. Well, yeah, and um, his brother randomly stops being into the nightclub. Because the plot no re- necessitates it. Right. There's no development there. He's just like, I got a nightclub, bitches. I'm tired of having a nightclub. It's a cage. We're in a cage, Wolfgang. It's just like, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nowhere. Caffius um, hasn't told his mother or his his best friend. Like, right. And because there i have such a i feel like we have such a strong sense of these peripheral characters and they do feel so important to our main characters lives that's why it is sort of strange well i guess i guess no no no. um will's former partner now has the an inkling the, the, the inkling like the the base level yeah no he he knows something's up but also uh bless that bless that cop no, I'm not going to go downstairs into this scary church with you, but I'm happy to go into this seemingly abandoned house with you. That's totally cool. I'm okay. I'm on board with this. It's just, 
your levels of what you're willing to do are very weird, my friend. Well, okay, but the random abandoned creepy church where you're meeting an informant who might be there to betray you is different than a house that he's probably gone into. Like, that's a much more if the door was unlocked kind of normal He's willing to go into a creepy basement. <laughs> the reaction i appreciated his reaction to finding like the little cubby it's like that's yeah. really creepy i like that i yeah. also love that he doesn't go all the way in he just like leans in and is like nope i'm good <laughs> uh so no i'm i it's just it was a very good season and i'm i'm annoyed there hasn't been a season three renewal yet yeah um but I feel like you can't not do one Netflix. It's... No, we demand a third season after it's, yeah. it was, it was, a, it's different, but it was a very strong second season. You could argue yeah. that it's better. It has different strengths and weaknesses than yeah. the first season, um, but it ends really powerfully. And like, we need at the very least, we need a, like a wrap up. It ends in a cliffhanger. We need a wrap up thing. Right. And I need like an answer to what the fuck is going on with Jonas yeah that guy jonas <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah there's some of the stuff that is a little a little unclear um but naveen andrews is so good at playing shady though so i don't he's care. very good at shady yes um the this is again what i keep coming back to this is a show that makes you feel this is a show that like if you're not crying when you're watching part of the show then i don't understand you um, yeah. or or feeling warmth or, or or laughing or again it's very tangible you can you can feel the warmth of the sun on Hernando's face. You can feel like the, in the first season when you can feel the rain, you can feel the snow in the snowball fight. Like when you're watching it, you you're immersed in this world. It, they, it's such a terrific achievement on that front. It, eight main characters, all of whom I like and all of whom I care about and all of whom are funny and, uh, and, and serious and, sexy and uh and stupid and brilliant like they're all so many different things without ever straying from who the core of who those characters are and it's just it's a show that you know i hope more people seek out and just i hope it just keeps growing over time the the fan base for the show because i think it is really an astonishing show yeah it absolutely is i i there's nothing for me to add to what you just said um uh, because you're 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 very spot on with it and yeah 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 well uh that wraps up our conversation on sense eight season two listeners if you're watching sense eight uh let us know what you think about you know let me let us know your your desired season three hangout buddies and let us know who who like most needs to be in on the sense eight like world and secrets and everything because uh, I, I have a feeling we might have some differences of opinion so I, I would love to hear from everybody um, if you show notes here at the end of the episode you can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org which is the website for the podcast you can email us at televerse at gmail.com you can find us on Facebook and like our page to start up a conversation there you can also find us on iTunes with an M4A chapter feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed and of course we're both up uh, oh, we're also up on Stitcher you can rate and review us on iTunes and on Stitcher we would appreciate it it would be very nice helps other people find the show um, and then of course we're both on twitter i'm at the televerse and noel you are at noel rk and flash final recap um for the season over at tvguide.com next week 
Yes. And you can find Woo. my reviews of Veep over at theavclub.com as well. We got a few more of those coming. Uh, yeah. So thank you again, Noel. Thank you, Netflix, for giving the Wachowskis and, and J. Michael Straczynski a stupid amount of money to make this awesome show. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Thank you.